Hello and welcome to the next episode of the podcast, a cannabis podcast for budding enthusiasts. This episode, as always, was brought to you by 420 Australia, your premier store for all things lifestyle and apparel. Organic gardening solutions for all your organic gardening needs, as well as aficionado seeds and freeborn selections. Be on the lookout for the newest lines from both. In this episode, we're lucky enough to have Mean Gene from Mendocino on the show to chat all things breeding, strain history, and some of his plans for the future. Let's get into it. Alrighty, so a big, big, big thank you to the man behind all the badass genetics you've seen at Aficionado, Mean Gene of Mendocino. Thanks so much for taking the time to sit down and talk with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me on, man. No problem. So, the first question I like to ask all breeders is, what was your first experience with cannabis? Um, well, I mean, there's different there. There's layers to that one. Uh, my my first experience with cannabis in memory um, was actually being a really little kid and um, and seeing seeing cannabis growing uh, at my house. You know, when I was like two years old or something. And uh, I remember, it was like 1982 or something, my mom getting arrested for it. Um, the roommate had a, had her roommate had an argument with the landlord or something. The landlord called called the cops and, yeah, there's six plants on the back porch or something like that, you know. Um, but as far as smoking, uh, I'd say I was probably about, I don't know. I was a kid, man. I was probably like eight years old and I had a buddy who always, you know, he had older brothers and they always had a lot of weed and, um, and whatever. They were totally houses full of crazy contraband of all types, you know? And, um, I, uh, I remember, you know, them being around and being like, Oh, you know, smoke the joint, smoke the joint while I was staying the night at my friend's house. And, you know, I took a couple of hits off the joint and I didn't feel anything, nothing happened. And, um, you know, I probably didn't really, it probably didn't go past my mouth. And I was like, you know, oh, okay, cool. Well, this was nothing. All right. And then I stayed away from it. And then, you know, a, a couple of few years later, I, um, I smoked and I actually felt it and I thought, okay, this is what it was like. And then I think maybe I was 12 or 13 and I was with my buddy, um, Jody and Jody had this weed that he got from this dude that lived in Napa and for whatever reason uh that time I think it was probably because of the way we smoked it we had like this little it was like a little bottle with a little down stem into it and a little tube that came back up out of it like it was like a miniature bong or a miniature uh chalice you know and uh I remember I smoked that with him and I remember telling him, you know, this isn't weed. There's something else in here. You know, that dude, he gave you, he gave you weed that was laced and you know, those guys out in Napa that I don't know, man, they laced the weed and I was so gone. And I remember <laughs> thinking, Oh, I'm going to be in trouble. My mom's going to show up. And he's like, dude, it's like one thirty in the afternoon. And I'm like, yeah, I know, man, but I'm so high. I'm going to be in trouble. And he goes, your mom, what time's your mom getting you? I'm like, I don't know, like eight thirty or nine. He goes, dude, no weed's going to get you high for eight hours, bro. Just have fun, you know? And I just remember being like, honestly, like, probably like half blacked out almost of being in and out of really knowing what was going on. I remember like running around in circles by this pond at the hog farm and, uh, 
just kind of like falling down, chasing him through the through the water and the edge, and just like you know playing like kids do, but just high as a kite, man. And um, that was um, that was the first time I remember getting really like really going. Okay, so you can get this high off a of weed. Before that, it was like I thought I was getting high, but I realized then I was I was just kind of you know dabbling and tasting it and whatever. So, and what strange do you think that was? Jeez, I don't know, man, but I wish I had it now because it was killer. I mean, I had smoked a lot of weed before that. Before that, I had smoked Northern Lights. I'd smoked different, like, Afghanis and different crosses of different stuff um, that was around, you know, like, turn of the 90s weed. I probably, that first time I tried weed, I was probably, like, 88, didn't didn't really, just kind of smoked it to not get made fun of, you know? <laughs> and then probably, you know, later on, then smoking, like, really killer weed, but not, not smoking it, um uh, so much, but getting high. And then, man, I smoked that weed from Napa and whatever that weed was, it was some major stuff because I I imagine it was probably like hash plant or something really potent. Um, it just, it, it knocked me, you know, and I didn't get that high again, even smoking for maybe another year or something. And then, um, then I, that was the first time that I smoked a lot of Keef and that was the first, my first experience with a concentrated smoke. And, and that really got me too. But strain wise, man, it'd be hard to, it'd be hard to say really what that would have been, but some bomb 1992, whatever the hell was there, you know, and nobody would, would really know back then you would have just said, Oh, this is, this is either, this is either good weed or bad weed, you know? So. Yeah. Okay. And so, from that point, how did you then transition into growing? Was it the type of thing where from these experiences it was just implanted in your mind like I've got to do this? Or was it more of the type of thing where everyone around you was doing it and so you didn't even like make a conscious decision to start growing? It just it was just like, oh, I just started doing it. Uh, well, it was going on and people who were older than me, of course, everybody in the area was kind of growing. But at my age when I first started growing, it was more like – um you know, I used to work with the family and, uh, you know, like when I remember being a little kid and like transplanting some pansies or like some little flowers for the yard and, um, you know, like supposed to water the water, the trees in the front yard and half acid. And, um, and then at a certain point just being like, Oh, I want to grow one of those plants, you know? And they were like, all right, well, you, you know, here, this one's yours. This is your baby plant. Go ahead and, you know, put this stuff in the dirt and stick this in and you're going to water it. And if you take care of it, you know, you can have it. And, um, I was like 10 years old. It was a a Northern lights plant. And, um, that was kind of, uh, that was kind of my introduction to it. And then I, you know, I, I don't remember growing any other plants until maybe I was probably like 14. That was, uh, 94. And, um, you know, I got some killer seeds and I planted them and I grew them, uh, in a, in a, in a big garden. And I just had my, my few little plants. I had like whatever, 10 plants or eight plants. And, um, you know, that the weed that came off of that was, you know, that was like basically my second try that, that weed was as good as anything I've ever grown or still grow to this day. It was just, um, a really good place to grow. And, uh, that was down in Sonoma County. It was a really good place to grow. I had the knowledge that, you know, you should use all nice organic stuff, kind of, you know, uh, minimal handling, slow cure, slow dry. Um, 
great genetics, you know, so it, it really came out and that was, um, you know, it, it, I think anybody who really ever tries it, the first time that they get some good weed in their hands from trying it, they're going to go, oh God, I got to do this. I want to do this some more. I want to learn more aspects of this, you know? Yeah, without a doubt. And so what was the catalyst for your first breeding project? Was it accidental? Was it intentional? And a question I haven't asked anyone so far, did you start breeding because you were particularly inspired by someone or just because you kind of wanted to just have a crack at it? Uh, I mean, I'd say what happened was probably that time, like 94, I got some strains. One of them, um, there was an Afghani called Dirt that my buddy had, C-Money. He had this, um, he had this Dirt plant and it was this earthy Afghani, so they called it Dirt and it came from a crew of people who were, who were, uh, big old school growers back in the day and uh this guy randy brought it back to um the branscombe area which is in uh, mendocino county he brought that back in like 83 or 84 and uh so he gave me some seeds that were across there was a dirt cross big bud and dirt cross a thing that they call perp out there and um so basically they were they were Afghani crosses. I had those. I had some other different stuff. And then what happened, I think ninety five or ninety six, my buddy said, Oh, I took that dirt perp and I crossed it with Mark stuff from down the road. You know, there was this guy named Mark, he had really killer Afghanis. Uh we called his stuff Mark's Red because it always had like more red hairs than than most stuff. Not not uh, a, not more abundant, but that they, they were a a more true red color and um so he told me hey you know i got the this dirt perp cross marks red and he gave me those seeds and he only gave me a few maybe a six pack of seeds so i had already had the dirt perp grown them cloned them um had a really good clone out of the dirt perp had really good clones out of the dirt big bud and so i said well you know i wish i would have kept the males when i cloned those plants before you know, a year or two ago. So, uh, 97, I went ahead and I took those seeds and I planted them in, in one pot and I let them grow up and they were just little like knee high, um, plants. And I let them do a little open pollination. And then I got those seeds. And then after growing those, you know, I was, I was hooked because I started off with this nice stuff and I wound up with a bunch of seeds that were, you know, just as good and a bigger number of them. So I found even better ones in there. And, um, you know, then the same, then the first year that I really got to grow those out in quantity, I think was probably, um, two years later and I grew out a bunch and I made a bunch more seeds and I made it some different outcrosses. And, uh, so that was kind of, um, you know, really this, really the start. And it wasn't, um, the inspiration I would say kind of came from those guys, like from, uh, from uh steve-o and uh see money and these guys who were who who gave me the seeds and i saw that wow okay they gave me these seeds and i got this and now i made these seeds and i got this so uh it just made sense to keep uh making seeds and try to do selections and improve and recombine and um you know i had read high times since i was like 10 years old and i saw the stuff from the cannabis cups and you know people with seed companies and it, it just all seemed really cool, you know, to be able to like um, ma- make your own types of weed and uh, keep around good ones that were that you already liked, you know, have more seeds. Yeah. So, I mean, just fast forwarding to 2015 for a moment when you got your first first place with the Cherry Lime at the Emerald Cup. 
what was that like, you know, to go from the guy reading the magazines to now being the guy in the magazines taking the first place type thing? Well, it was a trip. It was kind of surreal, you know, like um, you think, okay, it was like, all right, I 2000, 2006, my buddy enters a plant that I gave him and he wins second place in the Emerald Cup. 2007, I go, okay, well, I got more stuff from those same lines. I'm going to grow some and enter it and see if I can do okay. The next year, uh, there's almost twice as many entries and I still did sixth place. And I, so I was pretty excited about that. And then, uh, then, uh, that was 2007. And, um, so then, you know, the next year hit and in, uh, in autumn that year, uh, one of my really good friends passed away and, uh, it set me back. Like I was like, not in the mind state of going, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and, and get this, get these entries together and do this stuff. And so I just kind of stopped doing it. And then 2000, 2012, I went up and I entered some stuff and I kind of, my entries weren't entered right. I entered big chunks of weed. They had to pop them apart for the judges so the judges didn't get to see my trim job or anything um i might have done good or i you know i might have still not placed but i didn't do anything that year so then the next year i go up i kind of have some more uh idea like okay the judges only get two grams so only enter two gram pieces or they're gonna pop your stuff apart they want it trimmed really really tight which i think usually makes really pretty weed kind of featureless so i don't usually i like to show the features a little bit um so I realized, okay, well, they don't care about that. They're just going to take it, crunch it up, and they're not going to pull out leaves or stems. They're just going to crunch it up and smoke it. So I better make it like as close to a good, you know, ready for smoking as possible. And so, you know, I improved it in that way. And then I took third. And then the next year I entered again, I took second. And then, you know, when I won, I took first. So it was kind of weird to me because it was like, all right, I did third. I did second. I went, well, it would be you know, it's not realistic to think I'm going to do third, second, and then first. So when I won first, I just kind of was like, uh, okay. And I mean, you can look at the video and look it up and you can see when I'm up there, I'm like, Hey, uh, okay. I just, I just won the Emerald cup. So, all right. I didn't even know what to do really. It was, it was a weird, surreal thing. And I remember it didn't really soak in until, uh, you know, that night, we 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 uh went and we went to this pizza spot in um Santa Rosa and we order food and we're eating the food and I'm like hey guys this is a victory dinner right here you know we just won the cup right here you know sitting with my family and uh you know we all kind of laughed and and uh I was you know I was we were we the Emerald Cup was Saturday and Sunday and Monday morning we were going on vacation the first family vacation I took my family on so uh you know, the whole thing was just kind of this crazy, like, hey, that happened. And, um, you know, you kind of expect it to have like an impact when it happens, like, hey, you just won. And it kind of, it was like, I won and I grabbed my cup and I didn't really even realize that I had won until dinner sitting there, you know? So it was a trip, man. And it was, it was really trippy because, uh, honestly, up until like 2013, I really didn't know, you know, I had never been to any other cup except the Emerald Cup, which was kind of a, was kind of a little, uh, local thing. And, um, I'd never been to a high times cup. I'd never met any other people who, um, 
who were like breeders who were on the scene. I know a lot of people over the years who always made their own seeds and, and worked lines and stuff, but um, I didn't know anybody with a company. I didn't, I, I'd never seen any of that whole scene that was going on. I didn't know about the forums. I didn't know people were on Facebook and Instagram posting weed. I didn't even really know Instagram. I thought Instagram, oh, it's just some place people put up pictures of their food and stuff, you know? And <laughs> then, uh, after that, I, you know, once, once I kind of started seeing it when I went on social media, it totally changed. So to all of a sudden go from being completely in the dark and not know any of this stuff is going on. And then all of a sudden be like, Hey, I just won like one of the big contests, you know, it, it really, it blew me away. It was a trip, man. It was a trippy experience for sure. Yeah, without doubt, and certainly deserving. If we just take a bit of a wind back for a moment, how did you make that progression from, you know, you said you were making your own seeds, you had friends doing really well with them. How did you progress from that point to being, you know, the head breeder at Aficionado Seeds? Well, you know, what happened was... uh I got a, I got a hold of I got a hold of um, Leo and Ellie, and uh, they were the people who 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 built Aficionado, and uh, um, I said, hey, you know, I want to get some seeds from you. And there was this party going on at this place up here called the Peg House, and uh, the Peg House is like a cool place, you know, like really cool vibes up there. And I'm like, hey, if you guys are going, and they're like, yeah, actually, we were gonna go. And I go, hey, cool, cool, cool incident. So you know, I'll meet you guys up there and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll smoke you guys out and stuff. So I brought up some cherry limeade and they saw the cherry limeade and they're like, dude, did you enter this last year? Cause they had won the, that year, you know? And I was like, no, nah, I, 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 uh, I actually haven't seen it till now. This was, uh, it was a 420 party. So it was, a, you know, 420. Yeah. And, um, I, uh, I go, no, I just, I just went and, um, took this out. This was hanging up uh in the drying room i haven't tried even tried it yet you know and they go dude they go if you would have entered this you would have blown us out of the water and i was like oh you guys think so i go i entered the mother of it but it's not that potent and uh this one is crossed with the black lime so it might have some potency to it and you know so we smoked it and uh they were like dude that's that's like that's the baddest weed there is like we never seen nothing like this before and I was like, oh, okay, well, damn, maybe, you know, maybe I'll enter because I had kind of come, I, I had honestly gone like, oh, you know, I'm not going to bother. I don't, I'm not just going to give people weed for them to tell me that it's good. I already know the weed's good. I'm not into this whole contest thing. And, um, so when they said though, that it was that much better than the winner, I was like, well, all right, well, I'll enter this next year. And that, you know, so next year I entered it and I got, that's when I took third place with it. And, um, so basically you know i showed them different stuff i was working with and i saw different stuff they were working with and they were like hey uh you know do you want to um do you want to do some projects together because you know they 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 lived like four houses away from me at that point and so um i was like yeah you know i go i go you know let me you know show me some more stuff they go you know and so leo drops by one day and he goes hey this is the rest of the winter um that won the the emerald cup and i looked at it and i went wow dude that's crazy because that looks a lot like what i call lime one that's my 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 uh favorite black lime clone that i keep around that's a uh pk cross black lime and um i go you know we should do that cross and so he goes i go you know do you have a male of that that's that's proven that you like and he goes yeah i got the pollen right now coming out of the tent i go well cool let's 
let's go ahead and do that. Bring it by and I'll make it. I got stuff going into flower pretty soon, you know? And so, uh, I went ahead and I did the lime one crossed with the, um, with the chem that he had. And, uh, that's what black lime reserve is, you know? And so I did that one and I were, I did a couple more crosses with them. And, um, uh, that's just, you know, that just kind of, that just kind of worked out to, to, uh, be that stuff, you know? And, um, so it was just kind of a, it was kind of a trippy, just a, just a weird luck kind of, you know, like, Hey, I want some of your seeds. And they're like, Hey, you know, your seeds are, your seeds are really good. You want to, you want to do some stuff. And that's, you know, that's how it happened. Just real organically like that. Yeah. It certainly sounds like some of the best collaborations do happen on that real organic side of things. Um, a question I'm interested in is a lot of breeders or, you know, companies will generally describe their work as a certain style, you know, like maybe someone would say, oh, I tend to do like one parent will be old school, one will be new school, you know, like kind of the merging of the flavors or someone else might be like, oh, I just do two new school things. How would you describe aficionado's work? Do you think it follows a general style or not particularly? Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's the positioning on aficionado is basically like, all right, this is, this is the best stuff there is. Um, this is the stuff that, you know, uh, growers who are experienced want to grow this to get stuff that's basically the highest end product, you know, not necessarily, you know, there's some people who are like, oh, these are the monster, this grows the monster stuff, every plant's going to be huge and heavy, or this grows that, or aficionado, I'd say it's really aimed at being something that's quality, so that you can say, okay, this is, this is craft cannabis, this is boutique quality cannabis, and, um, you know, I'd say really that, that is the style that it's, that it's kind of, um, shooting towards. And then also with like a little bit of added heritage stuff. So that's why, um, Leo works with a lot of stuff like from Mandelbrot because Mandelbrot at this point is, is kind of like a, a more of an old school staple breeder. Like, you know, like Royal Kush is something that, people who are from around here they're like oh yeah i've been buying royal for you i've had royal for years i've been growing that stuff for years now like a lot of the old school growers i know have uh converted over to old stuff like that and so you know by kind of infusing that going okay well here's something a mandel brats but then it's crossed with something that's more new you know it's then it's more like it's not i wouldn't say mandel brats like a real old school old school breeder but time flies so fast to the point now where royal kush is kind of like an old school emerald triangle um, staple strain and, um, you know, like some of the, some of the chem stuff, you know, it's like, yeah, it's been around for a while. Uh, but I mean, that's kind of the whole, the whole aim of aficionado, I think is kind of to say, okay, here's stuff that's really high end. Here's the stuff that's really good in your joint, in your bag. Um, and it has, you know, uh, some history to it. So, you know, like, um, I'd say that's kind of, that's kind of the thing. And then there's, you know, for me, like as a breeder personally, like, um, my whole thing really has always been, okay, I want a better plant. Like I want to grow, I, you know, I've honestly, over the years, I've kind of slipped from, uh, being a proper preservationist in that I tried to always go, okay, what's the best, what's the best possible thing? So I had like some Afghanis, ah, they're too short, they get mold too easy. Then I cross them with this, I cross them with that. Now I have this strain and now I don't even have that Afghani anymore in some cases. So, um, 
for me, it's all like improvement and trying to have a plant that I really want to grow and that when I show it to people who are other growers who I, who I know, they really want to grow that, you know? So, um, you know, that's like the, 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 the basis of, of my work pretty much. Yeah. Okay. And so, I mean, if we just touch on one of the points you made, that heirloom slash land race type stuff does pop up reasonably frequently in aficionados, you know, the line in general. The thing which jumped to mind to me is, how do you source these types of genetics? Like, they're not, it's certainly not easy type of stuff to source, like, you know, like Highland, Afghanis, stuff like that. I, I have to imagine that would be some of the hardest type of stock to try to acquire, right? Yeah, like, I mean, as far as like... um as far as like Highland Afghani, that's like that's something that Mandelbrot got, I think, from Salmon Creek um, around 2003 or something like that. I, I don't know the exact story on that, but um, you know, a lot of like a lot of what aficionado stuff is is like stuff that comes from um, Mandelbrot or that comes from Shiloh or that comes from me, like guys who have been here for a long time or like the the family vault purple that comes from a guy named larry who uh who actually passed this year he was a great dude uh, uh hippie larry or crazy larry and um so you know it's just a matter of 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 people who have these things and who have kept them because they liked stuff enough to not just um just switch over to commercial mainstream clones i mean you kind of have you kind of have, uh, of course, there's a million kinds of growers, but you have kind of two major subgroups in this area. You have people who either grow all diesel and Blue Dream and they bust out units and they make money. Or you have people like there's people like me who take a big hit on on money because it's like, okay, I, I want to grow everything from seed. Like the last time I grew a clone in my garden to actually grow weed from it and not just to seed it for fun um, was probably 10 years ago, you know? And in between then and way back before that, there was probably only maybe one or two seasons where I ever really, you know, produced clones to say, okay, I have, I have this weed and it's all comes from this one clone. Like I, I, I sacrifice, uh, you know, basically like ease of manufacture. I don't just go, okay, I'm going to grow, all this so somebody wants all og i got all og i'm like no i got a plan of this i got a plan of that i got a plan of this you know they're all different because they're from seed and and even if your stuff is is completely consistent um as far as like you know like if you have like you know quote unquote ibl stock it's like to you know you're still people are still probably not going to take those plants and mix them in the bag and if they do people might go yeah i don't know you know i smoked one joint out of that bag and it looked the same as this other joint but the one joint got me a little higher the one joint was a little tastier there's there's still these fine variations anytime you come from seed it doesn't ever get to the point where it's 100 percent consistent so um you know people don't like that in commercial stuff so the the main thing is with sourcing genetics is you have to track down the other set of people like me who actually want to grow from seeds so they still have seeds because most people are like i don't need seeds dude i just go buy og clones i just go buy cookies clones whatever's the flavor of the week i'm gonna go buy that and i'm gonna bust it out and and kill it and that's all i want i don't want to mess around with having a bunch of different stuff you know, but um, if you really have a love for like different genetics and stuff, then that's when you're going to be, 
one of those people who says, no, I actually have, I have stuff. Like I have strains, I have old seed strains and, and they're, they are unique because they, um, they were bred by people who were isolated for a long time. So, you know, that's how I have stuff. Um, and that's, that's where, that's where the, all that kind of special stuff comes from when people have it. And then, you know, then there's people who preserve things through cloning, which is awesome too, you know, also really important, but, um, but it, it, it's definitely not quite as good as having, you know, uh, open pollinated population of plants that come from that gene pool instead of just one select clone that's been around, you know? Yeah, for sure. And so you kind of almost hinted at this idea I've been interested in in a while. Do you think there's any value or maybe a better way to phrase it is would you ever consider doing um, a breeding cycle whereby the mother and the father were from the same stock each cycle, but you know, like you would, you were doing it from seed every time so that each batch was kind of a little bit unique within its own right. Well, you know, that's really interesting that you said that because I kind of have a concept that I'm working on and I want to see how well it flies. Um, that's how people have grown weed for thousands of years at the very least, you know, and, um, a lot of these, like these people say, oh, there's all this improvement and it's like, yeah, there's, there's improvement, but I'm sure there's been points in history when people had, you know, reached a point that was similar to this or in certain areas, people have a, a, a particular type that's a certain, you know, up to the standards of today, because, you know, the way genetics work is those traits have to exist in the original stock in order to be able to lock them down. So maybe the old seeds weren't as consistent. But they still had all the stuff we love in them today. Like people are crazy over cookies. And when I smell cookies, it's I'm like, oh, this is like a Hindu Kush. And the resin is a little bit more waxy as opposed to being a little bit – a lot of the Hindu Kush might have a little more dry feel to the resin or um, – you know, like all the things that are hot today, I see those traits and they just look like old stuff I saw from hippies weed from back when I was a kid and when I was a teenager. So for me, um, I always grow from seed that I make basically over the years. Maybe it's not last year's seed. Maybe it's seed from five or 10 years ago or whatever, but I always grow seed that way. So, and, and I really like it. So I, I'm kind of interested in maybe starting to put out seed in that way where I say, okay, this is cherry limeade um, numbers one through 20 from 2017. These are the keepers out of, you know, run a big population and go, okay, here's the females that I like the very best. There was 10 of them. There was 12 of them, whatever. These are really stand out. And then be able to release the seeds and say, okay, here's cherry limeade these are the f5s that i made from this line from this year and then it's like people get a window into the way that people actually used to grow weed and get seeds because everyone's into clones now or they're into getting a breeding that came from cloned parents and i have appreciation for like all of those different ways to do stuff and they're all really good tools but at the same time it's trippy because i don't see any companies who are putting out seeds that are made the way that weed growers have been growing for you know all of history so it's when you said that it's trippy because um it's something that i've really been playing with going okay yeah i'm gonna put out this is gonna be the 2000 batch one through ten of this strain 
And people who get that, they get it. And if you don't get it, then you got to get the 2018. You got to get the 2019. They're all a little different, but different lines will come out that way. And that way, instead of providing the public with a really narrow uh, snapshot of the genetics that are in a gene pool, they actually get access to the whole uh, gene pool um, in all these different little ways so that somebody can go, oh, yeah, well, I made knockoffs of this strain. But, you know, it turns out their knockoffs are this cool new novel thing that they wouldn't have got if I just take lime number one and, and lime male number one and I just put out seeds like that and that's it. Because they're only going to get this little window into the gene pool that way, you know? Yeah, for sure. And so, I mean... I'm just thinking, I, I think the last breeder who I can think of who actually did that was Tom Hill when he did like the deep chunk. That was kind of open pollination, wasn't it? As far as I know, Tom Hill, when he did deep chunk, yeah, he just did open pollination with that. And, um, you know, that's one that had been bottlenecked so much that it's one of the more consistent strains I've seen from seed. But even in that, you know, there's ones that are really hard and chunky and there's ones that are really leafy and loose and there's ones that are green. There's ones that are purple. There's ones that are sweet and earthy. And then there's ones that have the really like the magic um, coffee uh, Hindu Kush smell where like when you smoke it, it smells like magic from a mile away. And those ones are really rare in those breedings. But when I first saw Deep Chunk, I think he released that 2004 as Deep Chunk. But in like 2000, I saw it as Monkey Balls in Spyrock. And in those earlier ones before the release, I smelled a little bit more of that old, like what I call magic purple indica that's just this old afghani where when you burn it it smells more like a like a really good true old school haze or um it's got that spicy incensey funky like just really special stuff to it you know but i think he i think those were when he did that was just an open pollination and then he probably i don't know if he mixed uh, the females or if he just took his favorite female and it had mixed males and he only released them from one female or he took all the seeds from a bunch of females and put those in packs I'm not really sure you know what he did with that yeah so. it's interesting because I mean a lot of his lines are just open pollination of stuff he's had earlier um, have you ever delved into any of the other lines I know that the um, you know his haze often got a good rap but the ones I'm more interested in were the ones people seem to have been less known about. Like X18, I'm really interested in. No one seems to have really run it too much. Or Pine Tar yeah. Kush, another one like that. Um, you know, the Pine Tar Kush, we used to see um, back in the day. Um, people used to get it from his family. You know, I went to school with some of his family. And uh, so his stuff would pop up like when I was in high school. And they just called it the Pine and my buddy C Money remembers it more clear than I do. I don't really remember it. I just know that um, it's dank and, uh, and uh, you know, like he, he says it was super good. And, um, you know, like for me back in those days, all the weed was so good that it was just kind of like, oh, this guy's got this and this guy's got that. Not that much stuff really stands out unless I was the one who grew it kind of for me. But um, but he but the X18 uh, is another one I haven't personally seen. But um, Aaron from DNA said that that really blows the deep chunk out of the water, that it's just a way better plant with way better weed. 
And um, so that makes it interesting to me because, you know, Deep Chunk's one of these ones with crazy mixed reviews because it's such pure stock that people really love that aspect. But at the same time, most people don't really like to smoke it because they usually only get a few seeds. And then they started with a pack and they made some. So they didn't ever see like the older um, when it was really the line was really more opened up. And um, so they haven't seen those special like there's there's ones in it that are more like a master Kush or a Hindu. I mean, it is Hindu Kush, but it's more of that um, classic uh, classic funk to it. So when I when someone tells me that X18 is way better, you know, and I mean, Aaron sees a ton of weed, too. So I figure, you know, that the, the X18 must be killer. And um, then there was one I had a buddy who I used to work for and uh he had this stuff and I was like, dude, what is this? This stuff's incredible. And he was like, oh, you like that one? And I was like, yeah, dude, what could you not like? It has it has buds as big as my arm. They're basically black and silver because the weed is so purple and the resin is so silvery white on them. It smells like spray paint and ammonia and skunk. It was just amazing. And, um, you know, I was told that that was probably the North Indian, but then when I talked to another buddy, he said, ah, the North Indian's not really like that. It's not quite so big. Then I saw Bodhi run out a little bit. I only saw like maybe one picture or something, but it didn't really look like what I saw. So anyway, uh, Tom Hill's dad, when I asked, well, what is this stuff? You know, the, my buddy said, oh, this is, this is Tom Hill's dad stuff, you know, because, um, you know, Tom Hill was his buddy and he had just given him a bunch of seeds and said, Oh, this is my dad's, this is my dad's strain, you know? And, you know, everything that Tom Hill has, as far as I know, comes from, you know, from his dad and, and, and those guys that had worked with it over the years in, um, in Mendo. And so to me, that was the one that for me is one of my holy grail strains. And I still can't really figure out 100% what it is. It might be the North Indian. Um, maybe if I can finagle some seeds from Bodhi at some point and try some out, I can see if I see that one popping out and maybe lean it back if it is it. But I'm not really, I'm not really positive, you know. Uh, and unfortunately, to ask you know, to ask around to try to sort it back out. I'm sure Tom Hill would say, my dad has lots of strains and I'm sure my buddy would go, yeah, I don't know. It's Tom Hill's dad's stuff. It's just the stuff from chemist, you know? So, um, that one to me was incredible. So if by any chance someone ever tells you, I have this stuff from Tom Hill and it gets these big, huge black and silver buds that smell like skunk and spray paint and ammonia, definitely, you know, like if you got to buy them or you got to trade or you got to fly somewhere to get them, you up, get, don't worry. get those suckers. Those things are that, – that was a really, really incredible line and to me – that was the one that I saw from Tom Hill that was incredible. I just don't know if he ever released it. I mean, for all I know, it's X18. You know what I mean? I just, I, I've never seen X18. Um, I don't remember the pine. I don't remember the pine tar kush really well. Um, I just remember it was stony and it smelled a lot like pine, like a pine tree, like cutting pine, you know? And, um, and uh, that's that's all I really know. I have some um, I have some haze that I got from uh, from backyard farmer at South Fork Seeds. I have some uh, deep chunk cross haze F twos, and uh, 
those probably have some really neat plants in it. My buddy at Roundtable Selections, he grew out some of them. And he got some incredible plants that looked really neat, like a deep chunk, but very narrow leaf, which is kind of like the Achilles heel of deep chunk. It's cool to look at, but it lets in no light and it causes it to really only get little buds on the outside. Whereas the the monkey haze, as it's called, um, it gets, uh, you know, it lets the light in. So it gets these long buds, but they still get the deep chunk color. And, you know, so for, that's a neat one for sure. Yeah, wow. So many points you just hit on. Like, I'm a little Tom Hill fanboy, so I just I need to clarify something quickly. Is the chemist Tom Hill's dad? Yes. Haha. All right, cool. I heard he might be hanging out in uh, Southeast Asia somewhere, still kicking on. Okay, yeah. I mean, I would imagine, you know, like, I, I don't, you know, I don't. All I know is I was working with my buddy and I said, oh, what is this? And he said, that's Tom Hill's, that's Tom Hill's dad stuff, you know? He's, uh, He's uh, and at this point I didn't I didn't know who Tom Hill was until uh, maybe two years ago or something. Um, I just knew him as the guy who was my who was my buddy's friend who gave him these killer seeds, you know. And yeah. uh, and so I said, "What is this?" And he said, "Oh, this is Tom Hill's dad stuff, you know." And he's he's like he's like scientific with his breeding, you know. He's like he's like a scientist, and I remembered it for years as him being called scientist. <laughs> But it turned out I was talking to some. I was talking to uh, I was talking to a backyard farmer, and he goes, "No, no, his his name's chemist." And I went, "That's right, chemist." But that's what my buddy said. He's like, "This guy's like a scientist with his breeding. He knows all the tricks. He knows all the ins and outs. His strains are true breeding." And um, so that that's how I know, you know, yeah, uh, that's really who cool. he is and stuff. Yeah. Just as a little side note quickly, I've I've grown out probably like close to 40 deep chunk females from this stock I had. It probably falls exactly into the category you described, but only one of those was like kind of as you described that, that magic Hindu thing and haven't been able to find it since. <laughs> I didn't clone it. it. It's neat though when you get it, right? It's like coffee and earth and a little yeah, bit of like and the, and the interesting. Oh, so Yeah. Good. Oh, yeah. There, it's interesting because... Um, you know, quote unquote indicas, her, you know, broadleafs, they, they kind of get lumped into this category of being very kind of bland on the high. But I've had some over the years. I used to have this indica called Big Blue, which I think is a different line from the same import as the deep chunk because it's pretty much the same plant and when i grow a big population of deep chunk i get ones that have the same form it's the one that's like as hard as a rock and it has the extra flavor and it gets the extra purple on the leaves um and down all down all the way through the veins of the leaves where it's usually white uh, yeah, well it's it, it, it's very like psychedelic and, and and laughy and giggly and cerebral, and you would never think it from looking at this plant. It's the definition of a of a boring broadleaf high when you look at the weed, but when you smoke it, it lays people on the ground with the giggles for hours. You know? Yeah. Wow. I I got given some seeds from a friend, and all he told me was that they were supposedly from an unreleased Tom Hill line called the the Blue Afghani. And so maybe it's okay. something to do with that. I'm interested. I'll have to get them going. Yeah, you haven't tried them, huh? No. Are, are they are they large it. seeds? Yeah, I think I've got about six or seven of them. I'll have to get them okay. going today. <laughs> yeah, they look. To you. Uh, do they look like they're 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 big muscle bound? Look like a piece of rock, and they're really big, or are they little seeds? 
Um, they're reasonably big, but I know what you're talking about. I've seen the real, real big, you know, Afghani ones. They're not that, but they aren't small ones by any means. Okay. And that's interesting too, because, um, you know, like I generalize like, oh, that's what big blue seeds look like. But the deep chunk as well, like Bodhi gave me some of his deep chunk seeds that he made. I was stoked on that. And I was stoked in another way because they are small seeds and all of the ones that I do from my old stock that came from a friend of Tom Hills before the release, they always have really, really big seeds. So that made me know, okay, well this might be a little bit different of a, of a leg of that line, you know? So do you think that the, um, the size of the seed is entirely dependent on the genetics or do you think it also has some part to do with when the pollination occurs in, you know, the general time frame of the plant's life cycle? Well, I would say that when you start with a pollination where you're you're in very early flower and you just have kind of the primordia of the flower is there, you just have those first those first hairs are showing. Um, you're going to get fewer seeds. They're going to be bigger. They're going to be healthier. They're going to have a thicker shell. Uh, you'll probably have a higher female ratio from them. They'll take longer to germinate, but you'll get a better germination ratio and they'll store longer, um, better. But um, if you make, if you take the same strain and you seed it a little bit later, you'll get a lot more seeds. They'll still be fully viable and the genetics will still all be, of course, intact and good, but you'll have smaller seeds with thinner shells. And, uh, so there's a trade off there. Like, you know, you're not going to get a lot of people producing seeds for money who are going to want to seed them really, really early. I like to seed stuff when you can barely tell it's flowering, like just when it starts to get enough to get so you know you're going to get some seeds. And then I basically get like, you know, really close to 100% um, just perfect flawless seeds. You never get the the wonky ones. You get a lot less twins. You get a lot more of the seeds are a lot more symmetrical, you know. So there's definitely something to be said for that. But, you know, you're never going to make – you're never going to take like uh, – you're never going to take cer- these certain strains. Like you're not, I like Blue Dream, for example. You're never going to make seeds on a Blue Dream plant, even if you make it right when it first buds and you juice the hell out of it and it's in full sun and it's the most happy plant ever and you leave it until the bud's almost nearly dead and the seeds are as good as could be. They'll never get as big as a well-produced um, deep chunk seed from the or Big Blue, you know, like from these really crazy Afghanis. They, they get... They just genetically, they get these really, really big seeds. But um, like Bodhi seeds are always great. And these seeds he gave me were beautiful. And um, so that's what makes me think that they're genetically leaning a little bit to a different side in the gene pool. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Yeah. But there's definitely like a correlation. There's certain, you know, like uh, a certain variety has a certain range of seed size. Like some just can't get as big as those. Those suckers get huge, you know. Yeah, man, those things are like little nuts. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if we just loop back to a topic we were talking about a while ago, you were talking about how, you know, broadly speaking, there's two types of growers in California, the seed growers or the clone growers, so to speak. It's interesting because this idea seems to be coming up more and more, especially in terms of how advantageous seeds can be compared to clones, specifically in the outdoor setting. You know, the, the idea of having the taproot, you know, that's really advantageous. The one major argument I've had against this, though, is that, you know, not every seed is going to yield a product as good as what an elite clone would. So, 
the question is, do you feel that through strict and high-quality breeding, you can, with reasonable certainty, offer a seed that is going to produce, on average, quite a high-quality product? Yeah, no problem. And I think a lot of it comes down to taste. So what happens is you might have a gene pool that can consistently do – it can consistently um, recreate uh, these plants with potency, with yields, with this, with that. A lot of times it comes down to um, a slight variation in anything makes – people get turned off to it based on taste so you might have 10 female plants and you clone them all and you have a bunch of people who think the number three is the greatest weed ever and then you have a bunch of people who think that the number nine is the greatest weed ever and then there's some people and and you have somebody who loves every plant that comes out of those seeds once they're bred really well but there's certain plants that are just more pleasing to their they're like they're like pop you know they're they're pop plants they're like pop music you know or pop art it's like this is what people people just like these you can sell this weed at walmart you can sell this weed uh at tiffany's you know like it doesn't matter who you are you're gonna like this and of course there's always some people who don't like it but generally if people like strong weed, they're going to think OG is pretty good. If they like strong weed, they're going to think chem is pretty good. Or if they like those more indica kind of highs. Um, so I think like a lot of it comes down to not so much are the plants, can you create plants that are all quality? But it's like then you have to lock them down to be this particular thing in which case you kind of you're going to kind of alienate the people who might have liked the other thing that you didn't lock down you know so um i I do believe you can make a strain where everything is really high quality like i I grow my my stuff that comes from my black lime crosses and i don't ever really get a plant from them that i go "Eh, i don't like this one you know I, i i like them all if people have never seen something from the line that they're attached to the first time they see any given plant, they go, whoa, that's good stuff. I like that one. But once they've grown attached to one type, then they'll start to see some of the other ones and go, yeah, I don't like that one. But it's because they like because of the one that they do like. You know, It kind of turns them off to the other ones. So um, you know, I, I think a lot of it comes down to just your taste, what you like, and um, – and then, and then, of course, you know, bottlenecking out the stuff that just nobody thinks is going to be quality. So that's what I've spent years doing is trying to get rid of the stuff that nobody's going to like and try to keep in the stuff that I know somebody's going to love, even though I know, you know, you can't please everybody with every single plant. So an idea I've been thinking about a lot recently is, do you think it's possible to selectively breed for either one trait, like either breeding in or out? And I guess what I mean by this is, let's just say you had a clone or you know a strain in general and you love everything about it. There's just one trait specifically. Let's, for example, say maybe you know um, resistance to insects or you know something like that. Um, uh-huh. Do you think you can breed that out and breed it out in such a way that you only get rid of that one trait? Or do you think you're always going to lose some peripheral aspects that will be related to the genes involved in that trait? And I mean, maybe more specifically, if you if you could actually do it, do you think it would just take a ridiculous number of generations to achieve the goal I kind of outlined? Or do you think you could do it in a reasonable number of generations? Um, 
You know, it's an interesting thing because it's really like uh, the perfect question for like, why would you want to hybridize something? Because if you already have something good, why would you want to screw it up by adding something else? Um, I think like in the case you said of like uh, insect resistance, um, the, for the, the, there's two ba- – there's, it, it's like this. If you have a gene pool and – so there's already plants in it that are exactly what you want, except they are very insect resistant and you don't have to go outside of the gene pool. Then that's a case when line breeding um, without adding any outside genetics is a great tool. So you can say, okay, well, you know, when I grow five of these, they all get attacked by insects. Then that's a great time to go, okay, well, let's go ahead and pop. 10,000 seeds or 500 seeds or whatever you have room for and then basically introduce that insect to that population and see if there's one that really shines and then if you can get um, actually a whole variety of those particular plants then hopefully you find one that was insect resistant and it also has the other traits that you already liked about the strain which in this hypothetical thing would be likely because it was already a strain you liked a lot, but it just wasn't resistant to bugs. So in that case, that's when you really want to do selective breeding within the gene pool and bottleneck out all the plants. So by taking um, that one plant and you can back cross to it and back cross to it and back cross to it, and because it's already a consistent strain, um, back crossing to that plant is really going to dominate the gene pool with itself. And that's actually like a really good time to um, inbreed and back cross and do all that stuff. Um, you wouldn't want to throw out all the other stuff because down the line you might realize, hey, wait, there's another trait we didn't know because we had never seen this type of wilt before or we'd never seen this type of mildew or blight or new strain of insect or species of insect. So you still want to have the other ones you know, put in cold storage or whatever. But now you have this new line where you can go, okay, sweet, we're not getting eaten by thrips every time. Like, who's getting eaten by thrips this is obviously a terrible plant. So we got to go ahead and go for this part of the population, preserve the part that we really don't want right now um, so that we know we have it in case we need something from it later. But now we'll take this new direction where we have this. Um, the other the other place would be, okay, now, well, we grew out 500 or we grew out 10,000 and we didn't find any plants that are not resistant to insects, which means that in the past, somebody's already bottlenecked these traits into this population and they're all going to get attacked by insects no matter what. In that case, you're going to have to borrow genetic material from a different um, race of plants. So you're going to have to say, okay, we're going to go to this land race over here or we're going to go to this, this heirloom breed over here and go, okay, look, these ones... They just and you you grow a big population, and of course it doesn't have to be that they all grow like this. But that's the best way to do it is to find a breed where none of them get attacked by insects. And maybe if you're lucky, this plant already breeds true for a lot of the traits you liked about the other strain. So that way you're making less work for yourself. So let's say you have a strain that gets attacked by insects. It has a great smell that you really love. 
Um, it gets you high like you want. The plant grows like you want it to. Um, it finishes when you want it to. And the only drawback is that it gets attacked by insects. Then maybe by some luck, you know, um, you find another strain that has all those same traits that you really like. And even the terpene profiles are similar. So it's similar weed. But you go, well, this one over here it doesn't get attacked by insects in any of the population. The whole thing is insect resistant. So it obviously has, it it, it breeds true for this particular trait in this case, which is insect resistance. So when you cross the two together, um, you know, I mean, if, if it's too, if it's so close to being perfect, like I just said it was, then of course you'd probably just throw away the first strain because you just found a second <laughs> strain that's already perfect. But there's going to be, there's, that in my head. right? Yeah, for sure. But, but I mean, you, I'm just saying that was, I, that was kind of the ideal you would be looking for to have a lot of traits that line up. Of course, they're not all going to line up. So let's say strain A, uh, yields well, but strain B, doesn't yield well but it really has the insect resistance so you go okay we do still need something from the old strain that doesn't have the insect resistance and it still is the one that has the better buds with the better resin and all this stuff to it so okay so it's worthwhile so then in that case you know you're going to make that hybrid now when you make that hybrid you're going to go through and you're going to look for all those traits you wanted but you're going to look for the plants that do possess that 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 borrowed trait and now those are going to be the plants that you're going to breed to go forward and um you know it, it all really depends on like you know the frequency that this particular trait pops out in the in the population like is it a one in ten is it a one in hundred is it a one in a thousand and if if it's already like the the strain's really true for that it's going to be pretty easy to borrow that trait into the other one because at the very least you're going to start off and you're going to get a quarter or a third or half or depending on how dominant that strain is for that trait so um to answer your question in a simple way, which I never do, um, <laughs> I would say that you know it's not it's not really that hard. It just you have to approach it in that way where you go, okay, what is our list of traits that we need for this strain, um, and then what is what what are we looking to borrow from another strain, and does this strain and does this other strain really have it to donate and in that case then yeah you'll make your new hybrid you'll find your plants that fit the description and as long as they fit the description you take them you breed them together try some different combinations um of parents and then you know at a certain point you'll find one that has all those traits that you want i mean that's kind of just what you know like i mean that's not what you do when you're making simple hybrids but when you're breeding a strain that that really is something that's going on you know like i do that i do that with strains a lot yeah, for sure. And I know that that type of approach is used in many, 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 other, many, many, many other uh, fields of agriculture around the world, and it's certainly effective. Um, yeah. While we're on the topic of, you know, kind of locking in traits, I remember having this discussion with Mr. Sol about backcrossing, and I specifically was interested in why he chose to use the Shiva skunk male as opposed to one of the brothers of, you know, the princess and the genius in the stock. And he said to me, well, it was. It had good traits, obviously, the Shiva skunk that he wanted, but more importantly, it was really easy to, to see those phenotypes when he was going through each generation back-crossing it. 
that that kind of brought up an interesting idea because I mean, one, would you guys consider doing back crosses in aficionado? Because a lot of the work is more kind of F one y type stuff. But the the other question is, is that the type of approach you would take? Would you want to use something that was really different, just such that it was you know almost just doing uh, the job of providing the Y chromosome, and then you could easily weed out most of its traits, or would you look to use something which was more similar, as you just mentioned, but the, 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 uh, the implication of that is maybe it's a little harder to weed out exactly what you don't want. Um, yeah, I mean, as far as to be able to see something outright, I mean, I used to always go, okay, you want to use, if you're going to take, say, like you're going to take a OG and you want to make an OG from seed, uh, let's find a male that's already almost just like OG in every way, and then we'll do that. And then after a while, I went, yeah, but I can't see it. Once I did it in practice, I went, I, it's really hard to see what it is. So um, what I realized, and I, I started the project, and I never did anything with it, uh, dying breed and roundtable selections and, jeez, uh, I don't know, probably a couple other people did stuff with it. What I did was I took the, I took the deep chunk and I put it on the fire OG. And I gave that to the guy who who gave me the deep chunk seeds originally and he called it great balls of fire. And so, um, what's interesting is deep chunk is a really trippy plant because it's totally inbred and it is, of course, um, it, it, it's, it's dominant in breedings for all these traits. Like I would say in a lot of case, the dark color, um, a lot of resin, broad leaves. Uh, but one thing that it wasn't dominant for in outcrosses that I did, um, meaning that I guess it's probably a double recessive trait in its gene pool, is that its height, it's not dominant in outcrosses. So what happens when you make deep chunk cross um, something that grows fast is you get basically deep chunk plants but they're very fast growing right so um i haven't grown out a large enough population of that but what i really wanted to do with it was go okay it's going to be easy to see these plants that are the ones that aren't the broadleafs they're going to be a lot more likely to be the og types and um it's so dominant for that trait that I think I'll probably have to grow out a thousand of them to be able to get a few good plants to try combinations with that have the narrow leaves. And um, uh, Dying Breed took that and they actually selected one that was a little bit more narrow leaf and they put that back on the fire OG again. I haven't seen that grown out yet, but I'm curious about it. But that's an example of doing... Um, like what uh, what Mr. Soul was talking about, where you use something that's really obvious and then it's easy to take out. The problem with deep chunk, um, are, it's not really a problem. It's just that when I do, you know, you plant 20 or 40 of them and you go, hey, we have a bunch of giant size deep chunk with a little bit more THC coming from the OG, but you don't get... You don't get many that have any kind of an OG smell um, or an OG look to them. And so... Uh, it's kind of a pain in the butt, but it is, um, it's definitely, it's definitely a valuable thing to do. And I don't, um, I don't see any reason not to do, uh, back cross projects. If you have a plant that you really, really like, you know, 
I think it's a, I think it's good. And I think that, you know, doing something that pops right out at you like that, using a plant that is different so that you can weed it out of the population really easy. I think that's, you know, that I think that's smart. It's a sharp idea. Yeah. And so you just touched on this idea of, you know, popping, you said popping a thousand seeds. How many seeds do you like to pop when you are going to look through a line for a male, for example? And, and as a little side question, if you were to pop another breeder's seeds, how many would you want to pop to get an idea of whether you could be like, oh, that's bunk or they'd do good stuff? Um, I'd say it's all dependent on the genetics. Um, I don't think – I think there's some strains that the way they're bred, like if you're going to pop something from Mr. Soul, I don't think that you probably need to plant more than a pack or two because of the way he breeds he's locking down traits he's using parents that actually mesh and make the gene combinations that he wants and he's um i mean the dude he's a what he's a nuclear engineer or something right so i mean you know he's not just going to be jumping into and doing stuff like that now that in comparison to somebody who says hey i'm going to take this and throw it together with this you know i mean Deep Chunk Cross OG was one that was that takes big numbers because of this interesting interplay between the genetics where Deep Chunk basically eclipses everything it collides with. There's nothing that really can stand out like um, Deep Chunk just throws a shadow on anything in the genetics. So you are going to be able to get ones out of it, but it's going to take you a bigger population to find them because there is really true dominance for a lot of its traits that it has. Um, but like I said, height is not one of those traits. So then that kind of shows you with my knowledge of genetics, you know, like I'm, I'm no rocket scientist with it, but that, um, that's probably a double recessive because it breeds true in an inbred population, but it doesn't breed true um, or or it doesn't dominate anything when you do outcrosses with it at all. So, um, you know, there there's your two examples of, okay, here we got, you know, Cindy 99 seeds um, or Cindy 99 fem seeds, like, hey, grow three, you're going to get a good plant, you know, grow regs, grow 10, grow 20, grow 30, you're going to have a lot of cool stuff in there. And it's kind of going to be that because that's his goal as a breeder. Then there's other people and there's stuff that I make too. I make stuff, I try to make stuff um, that is really, really consistent. And I try to make stuff that's really, really wild because in stuff that's consistent, when you go ahead and you plant a row of it, it behaves just how you want it to. It does everything that you, you want it to do. It finishes when you want it to finish and all this stuff. But then um, if you want to find something that's really going to be out of this world and it's completely different than anything anyone's ever seen, you're not going to get that out of your true breeding seeds. Your true breeding seeds only have what you've seen from them because that's all they do deep chunk does deep chunk you're not going to grow deep chunk and go whoa i grew this deep chunk and now i got this crazy you know just crazy plant with this crazy terpene profile it's going to be like oh it's just a variation on deep chunk it's pure cindy 99 you're going to get a variation on cindy 99 which is awesome when you're looking for that and then you know doing crazy crazy poly hybrids and stuff is really cool if you're just looking for something that's really weird like i got uh I got one called Nubia that my buddy Braveheart found out of some seeds. And um, it's like one of the only CBD plants that's high in CBD, um, two to one ratio. 
and it makes really, really good full melt hash. And that's not common with CBD plants. And I kind of attribute some of that to the old genetics, like the dirt perp in it that has, um, it has, you know, it's terpene rich. It has really nice uh, resin that's really, uh, it's really melty anyway. But then, you know, at the same time, then it, it's this crazy, this crazy polyhybrid thing that I did. And then you get this plant that you don't really see this in other populations. People grow out tons of CBD and they're like, it's great, but you can't make full melt hash with it. But through doing some weirdo stuff, you know, you get these weirdo things that you realize are valuable once you actually put them into practice. Um, as far as like for to get somebody's seed to know if it's good, it just depends. Like I feel like with breeding, it's all about like honesty. Like if you're gonna if it's wild, say it's wild. If it's ultra consistent, say it's ultra consistent. And then that way, when people go to select what they want to get from you or what they want to spend their time on to grow, they have an idea, you know which ride they're buying a ticket for because you you don't want to try to grow um you don't want to try to grow something where you want to get all good stuff that's all the same and have it all be wild and then some of them aren't even that great but if someone tells you hey these seeds are wild they're not all good but when you find the best one in it you're going to have something that's incredible then it's like cool now you know what you're signing up for and um so it's not so much that maybe a better breeder is going to have more consistent seeds it's that in my opinion a better breeder is going to tell you um what is what so that when you get into it you know like okay do you want to have uh you want to find this purple one here that's got this really special terpene profile it only pops out maybe one in 20 so you're probably going to want to plant about 50 or 60 seeds just so that you know you got more of a likelihood because if it pops out one in 20 in a big population, um, somebody could buy one pack or two packs and get 20 seeds really easily and go, well, it didn't come this time because, you know, it's not going to hit. But um, you want to know that when you buy the seeds. I don't want to get seeds from somebody and have them go, yeah, they're all this. And then you plant them and you go, dude, I didn't get any of that. And then if somebody tells you, oh, there's all kinds of neat stuff in this and then you plant it and you go, dude, I only got one thing out of like 50 plants. They're all exactly the same. Either one of those is going to be a disappointment, you know, so it's really up to um, for, you know, for the breeder to be um, ethical and give you an idea of, of what you're getting yourself into, I think. Yeah, sounds like a good philosophy. And so just on a slightly different topic, recently we've seen the launch of your own new company, Freeborn Selections. Um, what, what inspired you to start this? Is it kind of a bit like Bodhi's companies where it's just kind of like a different type of work he wants to do? And what type of things can we expect from it? Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, like I said, you know, I was 10 years old looking at high time seeing people with seed companies saying, oh, that'd be cool, you know, to have a seed company and breed. And then I started breeding. I got all these different breeds, you know. And um, so, you know, like when I when I first talked to uh, Leo from Aficionado, you know, he said, oh, yeah, you know, you should you should you should come on a company and we'll you know, you can do this and do that. And I was like, yeah, man, you know, I go. Uh, you know, I'm down to do stuff. I like to work with people and, you know, that's, it, it's cool, but you know, I'm still, I'm not just going to be, you know, I'm not coming in to just be like part of somebody else's thing. You know, I've been doing this for, you know, I've been, I've been 
you know, improving and creating strains for 20 years. I'm not just trying to just sign on to somebody's stuff. So, uh, I basically, um, I basically just thought, well, I have all these things that I've made, um, aficionado, the way the marketing is positioned is to say, you know, this is basically the best weed you've ever seen, the best seeds you've ever seen. And, um, you know, I feel like when we had Black Lime Reserve, I was like, I feel like this is a game changer. I gave them to people. Um, I, I gave a lot of lime stuff over the years to a lot of different people. And I always ask them, you know, is this is this blowing stuff away? Is this what you want to grow now? Or are you just going to retire it? You tried it and you don't want to do it. And everyone who I gave it to always said, this is something that I really want to, that I really want to go with. So that's like something that um, I felt like was appropriate to release and say, Hey, this is, this is good. You know, this is like the best stuff. Anything that I do, of course, I'm going to think it's great, but I have to know that, okay, it's going to match with the market. It's going to, it's going to, um, it's going to be really big, good yields. It's going to be great for this, going to be great for that kind of, you know, check all the boxes. And, um, um, so I was comfortable to do that, but honestly, like to say, okay, I'm just going to make seeds always, um, to be released as being, you know, the greatest thing around. And maybe they don't really, you know, there, there's not really anything that different, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm a better breeder than, than Mr. Soul or Bodie or, uh, Inspecta or Fletch or any of these guys. I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm, that I'm, you know, Mr. Awesome. So it's hard for me to, um, to, position stuff that way so for me i'm like okay i just wanted to do a company where i could say i'm gonna um i'm gonna make this stuff it's stuff that i think is great i think it brings a lot to the table and uh people will enjoy it and um and so that's why i'm really you know making the push on doing on doing my own stuff because anytime when you're when you're working with um people you know your visions have to meet and if if your visions aren't meeting up um then it, you know it's not it, it's not really uh, conducive to uh, to success in that in that way. So um, you know, Freeborn Selections is just like you know my middle name is Freeborn. Um, you know, these are my selections, and uh, you know, like you see, like on my thing, it's like oh, it's a company. You know, it's it's a new company. It's so why does it say since 1997? Because you know, Freeborn's been selecting since 1997. That's what the work is. So, um, that's basically, you know, that's, that's the whole thing of, of it is just going, okay, this is a place where I can put my work. I don't have to worry about, um, meeting any kind of standard beyond what I say it is. If I say it's wild, it's wild. If I say it's unstable, it's unstable. If I say it's, um, if I say it's the best strain I've ever seen, it's the best strain I've ever seen. I can just do whatever I want. It doesn't all have to fit into the heading of going, okay, this is the best you ever seen. Cause that's, that's a lot of pressure and that's hard to, um, that's hard to deliver on, you know? Yeah, for sure. And so just as a bit of a personal curiosity, even though cherry lime took first place and, uh, black lime didn't, which one do you think is actually the more standout of the two? Um, you know, uh, black lime is really trippy. It's one of these ones. Like I know a guy who used to get all the weed from the, from, uh, you know, the main diesel guys on the East coast, the chem guys, and, you know, he'd buy their weed for 
you know, huge amounts of money, stuff that's just ridiculous. Like people don't believe people pay this much for, for weed. And he used to come over here and get black line before I crossed with the OG. And, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't ever know until, um, I was talking to him last year and he or two years ago and he goes, Oh, you're the black lime guy. I go, yeah. I go, do you like that? And he go, and he told me the story. He goes, man, that was the best weed that I ever got was black lime. And, um, he goes, I used to get the super skunk. I used to get the diesel. I used to get the cam, you know, I've seen all the OGs. He goes, the black lime. He goes, that was my stuff, dude. Like that was like, I could kill it on that back in those days. And I was like, wow, I didn't even know back then. I didn't, you know, like you're very isolated when you're in the, um, you know, in the woods for one, you're very isolated. But beyond that, when you're not, you know, you're not really tied in. I was never one of these guys who flew to Amsterdam or did any of this stuff. So, you know, um, anyway, you know, the, my point being that for me, black lime is like, it's like the best weed there is. Um, and I crossed it with, the with the PK, the OG back in the day. Um, not because I wanted to make any improvements, but because I took the OG and I hit it with every male I had at the time trying to get OG seeds because nobody wanted to grow my seeds. All of a sudden they were talking about, Oh, we want to, we want to buy only OG because we can sell this, you know, we can sell this in LA for $8,000 a pound and all the rest of the stuff we can't. So, um, you know, black lime for me was really like the, the heavy, it was heavy hitting. It had all the flavors. It had fuel. It had fruit. I, I had been looking for years for something that was like lime because my buddy who was from that crew who, uh, originally gave some of my friends, some of the original seeds that I got, they um they had a thing called lime and i was always like oh i want to find this lime i want to i want to breed a strain that's lime like a lime popsicle you know and so once i finally did it it was just to me i was like here's the ultimate cherry if i have cherry limeade and i have black lime and i have a bag of each say i have an ounce of each and i'm smoking heavy i'm gonna probably smoke the black lime like 10 to 1 and um the cherry limeade is incredible it just it's not it doesn't resonate with me as well and um i think that overall the cherry limeade is more of a crowd pleaser it's purple but it's stony like og it has an incredible amount of terpenes when you smoke it it literally tastes sweet in your mouth not just like it not just like a sweet smell but it actually on your tongue is kind of like sweet like sugary and um it's just really really good weed it's really resistant um but black lime for me is just like black lime's the king of the jungle for me and then um and then my other one that i call root beer which is a um which is a headband uh with some you know some old afghanis and hindu and that's super that's super dank too those are the two for me cherry limeade is totally like a back burner strain for me as smoke but if i want to really impress somebody with a bud you know i know that in, unless people have a relationship with uh, like a history of smoking those other things like me i know that when they smoke the cherry limeade that knee jerk is going to be like oh that's the best that one's the best but if somebody has a lot of them for a long time you know it's um the lime for sure you know the lime is killer yeah, that's really interesting because I was listening to you on the Cannabis Connection talk about the creation of the cherry lime and 
Um, interestingly enough, you, I think you said that the mother was a Cherry Pie S1. And yeah. Yeah, and what I find interesting about this is we're seeing this happen more and more. You know, people are breeding with S1s as mothers. I've even seen people breeding with an S2 as a mother. How do you feel about this? Do you feel like, you know, it's fine to do as long as you do the necessary testing on the progeny or like what's your feelings on this? Well, here's an interesting thing, you know. I mean, um, some strains, they have exceptional stress, causes them to seed themselves. And the, um, the progeny from those breedings will um, – it'll take – an exceptional amount of stress to make them seed themselves. Uh, something like cherry pie doesn't take any stress at all, just seeds itself, right? Unless you're like some kind of phenomenal space grower. I don't know. Everybody who I know is like, dude, you grow cherry pie, you're going to be picking off some balls off the bottom of the plant before you flower it out. Cause it's about day 21, day 25 or something, day 30. And it's just going to start getting these little balls at the bottom of the plant. So, um, if I would have used that as a mother and hit it with the lime and released cherry lime seeds, it would have been a disaster. Like, I would have never done that. So, even at this point, I'm still, you know, I'm still having people test them indoor. I'm growing them outdoor. I'm at F4 with a few different directions, and they're all very stable outdoor. Um, they're even stable indoor for really good growers, which is better than cherry pie, but they're not, they're not stable indoor in every, it's not every line is good. Like the number seven line is, you know, one out of five, my buddy, um, my buddy Jasper had to do before he got a good one. The number eight, uh, uh, quality over Quan just did a few of them and he had no problems whatsoever. And uh, the number eight, there's also uh, Kevin Jodry has a cut off of that that, you know, I guess does really well no matter what. So, you know, it, it's a matter of, okay, what kind of an S1 is it? And then in that case, you know, like, here's the deal. If you take the wrong road and you get to S5 or you get to S10 or you get to S20, you're going to have plants that are so herm that you won't even know there's females in there. They're just going to all be producing pollen like mad. If you take the right turn, you're going to get plants where you're like, dude, I watered it with all this stuff. I used like everything they use to make feminized seeds and I can't get these suckers to reverse. Just depends on which road you take. So you have to take it in the right direction. So I, I honestly think that there's a big um, lack of people making S1 seeds. And the reason I say that is because people lose clones. So like my buddy right now uh, has this skunk six. It's this incredible plant and everybody wants it and nobody has it and he has it and he's he almost lost it. And it's my opinion, not that these seeds need to be distributed necessarily, but that they do need to be made. Like I told him, I'm all, dude, get some of those cuts up there to inspect and have them uh, S1 those out. So you've got the seeds to put in the fridge because um, 
you know, as long as you test out a stress test, those S ones, you're going to find S ones that are more stable than the mother they came from. And you're going to find some that are less. So that's the nature of genetics is that you always get something that's more so and one that's less. So you get like, uh, you know, a more resinous plant and you get a less resinous plant. You get a more purple plant and you get a less purple plant. You get a taller one, you get a shorter one. So you get all these combinations of whatever's in the gene pool of the plant, you know. And uh, I really think that um, that selfing stuff is neat. I had this Northern Lights back in the day, the one we got in 89 from Seeds, and it was incredible. And it's still to this day is one of my favorite plants. I underrated it for years because it was a little plain on the terp side. Although the flavor was incredible, um, I just kind of didn't, I don't know, I was a little bit um, uh, infatuated with smells that were a little more crazy. So I, I didn't really realize how amazing of just like a hash plant this thing was and it used to in cases where like the generators would die for you know a couple days before they could get back up and running or it would get heat stressed or whatever these different issues are it would seed itself and um these seeds we always went oh they're hermy seeds and we always threw them away and every year there would be one or two that would be in the compost pile it would come up and we'd go oh it's a girl let's go ahead and grow it give it a shot and they'd always be perfect and um you know we just thought just throw the seeds away i like wasn't looking at the evidence that no look these plants are good because we already had the clone I figured I'd never lose that clone. You know, we got it in 89. That clone was around till like 2005. But then that clone got lost. The only guy who had it, um, he lived by the Russian River, which is notorious for flooding. He had it in a trailer in a grow by the Russian River. The Russian River flooded. It washed the trailer. And all the stock was lost. And and now I go, God, I wish I had some I wish I had one of those bags of handfuls of beautiful brown pear shaped northern lights S one seeds that I threw away, you know? And so um I think it's important that people do it for preservation. I don't know as much for distribution unless people kind of let you know, like, you really got to know the parent. Is it hermy prone? Is it not hermy prone? Because if it's a hermy prone parent, you know, if it's prone to intersex trait, then you're going to, you know, you're going to have, you're going to have some problems with those seeds. But for preservation purposes, I think that feminized seeds and self seeds are, um, are a really neat tool and, um, especially in the case where you have the clone and you don't have the population of seeds to pull a male from or whatever, you know? Yeah, awesome. And so maybe as like a little follow-up question, do you think that if you have a plant that doesn't display any hermaphroditic traits on in normal cases, you know, like it's just a stable plant by all measure, um, but for whatever reason it's exposed to some serious stress, maybe a light leak, for example, and it produces some nanas and makes some S1s, do you think that those seeds are necessarily more hermy-prone, so to speak? Because the general consensus would be that, like, a plant that tends to hermy, you know, the seeds will likewise tend to hermy. So I'm interested, like, if a stable plant makes S1s due to the stress, is is those offspring any more likely to hermy than the mother? Like, are they stable as well, so to speak? Yeah, I think there's a crazy stigma surrounding the whole thing where people go... Uh, feminized seeds, hermy. And I think the reason why is because a lot of people take plants that are easy to reverse. They reverse them. They make 
quote unquote feminized seeds, which really aren't feminized. They're usually about 90%. I mean, you can go all the way back to marijuana botany that I read when I was a kid and they tell you, hey, if a plant seeds itself, you're going to probably get about 90% um, female. So you're going to get the rest of them are going to be like true intersex plants, which means, you know, you're going to have like, uh, you're going to have balls on one side and, and hairs on the other side. Um, I think that because people did that where they took these plants um, that go really easy, you know, like the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. If you have a plant that likes to seed itself and it seeds itself, you're going to have progeny that are going to like to seed themselves. If you have a plant that won't seed itself unless it's in very – unusual circumstances, then you're going to get progeny where the bulk of those seeds are not going to, um, they're not going to seed themselves unless they're under those same extraordinary circumstances. So, uh, yeah, I really think that that, um, I really think that the, the stigma surrounding feminized seeds, I really think it comes from people choosing poor parents and that if you, use the right parents, then, you know, you're going to get something good. And then I think it's important that people understand that being that there's no male in the cross and that some of those plants in the cross are going to represent the male plants, basically, those are going to be the ones that are like males with hairs. They're like 50-50. So, you you know, you shouldn't be surprised if you get a pack, if you get, you um, you know, 10 seeds and one of those or two of those seeds in that pack um, is going to be a full-blown uh, intersex plant because those are basically the males in the pack. Not that you want to use those as males, but that those are the ones that are in the population trying to um, ensure that they make more seeds, you know? So, um, so I, kinda, I, Oh, sorry, go on. Yeah, no, 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 go ahead, go ahead, man. I was just going to say, you kind of jumped in on the next question I was going to ask in that, yeah, should you ever use those intersex ones as males? Because I know that the most notable example in my mind is, um, and this is not like a bad thing because I think the strain is quite good, um, Peyote Purple by Cannabiogen. They said that that whole project initially started by finding what was essentially a male Bubba Kush out of what was meant to be a pack of S1s. And they've bred that for several generations. So maybe not the best example, but overall... The work doesn't seem to be super hermy-prone, but I mean, it, it also has basically no potency as far as my own growing saw. How do you feel about using those males? And the other little point I'll add is DJ Short once said that he thought they were the best males, like the males which had a few pollens, a few pistols on them and stuff. And so I always thought that's really weird. Like, was that just like a an idea he just pulled out of nowhere? Um. You know, I don't think it is. It's something that I've kind of been trying to explore talking to people. It's something that um, I've been able to read a little bit on forums at Tom Hill talking about DJ Short, um, various people. I know a breeder of a really successful strain who doesn't actually want to be mentioned by name or by strain because he used a male like that. And he got basically the most stable progeny anyone's really ever seen out of any of their stuff. And it was a male. All right. There's a, there's a division though. You have ones that are straight feminized and then you, and then they come up 
and they um, or selfed or whatever you know they come up and they're they're like 50 50 there's hairs at first and there's balls at first okay those ones to me those are very unattractive because in 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 my mind although I've never seen it in practice in my mind that's what they are going to bring to the table is more plants that are just 50-50 and 50-50 doesn't play for us you know so there's a big difference though between what DJ Short's talking about which is actually a male plant which shows male and grows as a male all the way until it reaches towards the late part of its life and all of a sudden starts to grow hairs right now there's there's females we know and this is where people are going to start to go oh mean jeans lost it here and i'm not saying just as a disclaimer i'm not saying this is what i'm going to start doing this is what i do i haven't actually done any real work with this so it's not solid stuff it's just something to basically tickle your brain so you can actually go okay Hmm. This is this is this is a this is a hmm moment. All right. You have these plants that grow and they're completely male, and I have seen them, and they come from ultra stable lines like some of my Afghani's, and um, I got this stuff from Kentucky from a buddy of mine, uh, Shanti Farms, that was uh, really good and really stable and showed no problems whatsoever with the females ever, but the males. When they reach a late stage of flowering, they begin to produce a little bit of female flowers in the male clusters. So um, what I think is interesting is that we know that there's things like hemp that basically are 50-50, like those plants we're talking about that come out of the S1s. Um, They're 50-50 because when they grow hemp, they want it to finish at the same time and males finish early and they begin to basically break down and you start to screw up your hemp. They don't get as big. You don't have a consistent um, agricultural crop. So that's normal. We already know that that's normal and can happen in cannabis. So if we know that a 50-50 state exists, um, then we also know that we have these plants where the females, when they go late, the females start to actually um, stress or feel overdone or feel freaked out because they haven't set seeds yet or whatever it is. And then they start to get you know, some balls late in life. Usually there's a lot of different types of it, but um, you know, some of them get just the bananas or some get little balls up at the top or however they do it. Um, it's just interesting to, to, to wonder that, okay, if that is one side of it, could that, could that, and, and, it, and it's genetically influenced because we know it is because plants that are, you know, quote unquote, hermy prone, um, they are hermy prone. It is their gene pool. It's not all environment, you know? Um, so you have to wonder, okay, is there an opposite state to that? Is there a state where the females, like assuming that it's possible that the 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 females that go hermy are are gene pools that are like so male that even the females are slightly male? Could there be an opposite state where the females are so female that even the males are slightly female? 
And would that be the most stable form of genetics for what we want it for, where the females will never produce male parts? And is that what that would look like? And I'm not saying that that's how it is or that's the case, but that's the point that uh, Tom Hill, um, DJ Short, who are definitely not rookies in the breeding game, they were curious about it. And when I read about it, I became curious about it too because um, you have to wonder, okay, if we have a 50-50 state and we have a state where the gene pool is so male that even the females are slightly male, is there – uh, gene pools where the the females are so female that even the males are slightly female. So that anyway, that's that whole thing you were just uh, you brought up from DJ Short. Yeah, that's that's actually um, how should I say reassuring to hear because I I done the same thing with one of my lines and I've too found that the progeny are all extremely stable. I haven't found any Hermes. But what I wanted to ask was, have you ever done it yourself in that you had the male? produced some calyxes and then it pollinated itself so it's made an s1 off the male and then you're growing that out because i've done that and i'm in the process did you get of, males no i got a female and i'm growing it out okay now. i can't wait i've been told that if you do that that you'll get males but i've never like i said i've never done anything with it it's all theory for me it was just that i i see these guys who are kind of who 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 are who are um, experienced and who are older than me and here they are you know playing with this idea i'm like I don't know. I mean, it, it looks interesting. So for me, it's all totally speculation. You know, that's why I was making sure that people know that, um, you know, I'm not on the, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid. I just am curious, you know, how it tastes. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good, good phrase. Good phrase. So just to jump off topic for a moment, at the Emerald Cup, I was really grateful to be able to try some of the skunk you were playing with. The thing I remember taking away from it was it had this awesome skunky metallic vibe and it made me wonder, what do you think is the deal with metallic tasting terpenes or weed? Like surely it has to be a terpene combination, right? Like surely we're not inhaling, you know, larger than normal levels of aluminum or something like that. Well, I can tell you, you know, that because I because I grew it and I dried it, um, I know that there's nothing weird in that weed. Um uh, it's very metallic to me. It smells like blood was kind of my take on it. Um, it really like, it smells like you have a nosebleed kind of, and it, it smells like skunk, like the animal. It was kind of a true skunky smell with a lot of metal behind it. And, um, that came out of the black lime. It's a weird throw. Um, and you know, I don't really know, but I do know that there's stuff going on that is separate from terpenes. Um, you know, we consider terpenes to be responsible for 100% of the smell in weed, but there is other stuff that goes on in there that creates smells um, aside from, you know, things in nature that create smells like, uh, you know, bacteria or fungus or whatever. But, um, you know, I, I, I wonder, I don't know. I mean, what is what is that? What is what's the blood terp? You know, that's really weird, man. That weed was so killer, though. That's a really that was a really exceptional um, plant, and luckily I made some seeds on that. So in the future, I'll probably go through them, and I still have some of the weed. I suppose I could get it tested, um, and then you know that might give us an answer. I, I think I need to probably start doing that, basically filing away. Um, a sample of every single plant just so that if something comes into question 
um, in hindsight, we can go ahead and test it, even though it, we kind of missed the boat. Because I can still test that now. Um, yeah. But yeah, really, 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 that's a really weird one, dude. I, I don't, I don't know what that is. But I mean, there's, there's, um, you know, there's like the purple color in weed um, has has a flavor to it, um, depending on what it is. Uh, you know, there's there there is stuff in there. It might not necessarily be a terpene, but it seems like it's it, it probably is a terpene. It's just weird because I don't ever see like on the terpene wheel them going, yeah, this smells like a old dirty nickel or. You know, it smells like the gate, the chain on your gate, or an old dirty lock or something. That's how that weed smelled. It was really neat. Yeah, it was some really cool stuff. Thanks again for that. Um, jumping yeah, to man. the next little skunk question: the roadkill skunk. Long debated, much talked about on the show. We're slowly getting there, though. First and foremost, what do you think the genetics are? Because over time, we've had a larger and larger amount of guests um, seem to either agree or throw it out there that it is also their belief that. The the name roadkill skunk is likely just a, a namesake for how it smells, but not a reference to the genetics. And most people have been throwing it out there that they think it was maybe an Afghani even. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I can chuck my two pennies from the peanut gallery here. I don't really have, um, you know, I, it, this is definitely not my expertise is what is skunk. Uh, but... What have I seen that was skunky? You know, the super skunk was skunky, and we know that was Afghani. Um, it's a cross, of course. It's like a skunk Afghani. Or I, I, I'm, you know, like I said, it's not really my, not my thing is the skunk. But um, I have only ever grown one plant that to me was like really like a dead skunk. I got it from I got it from Steve, Sea uh, Money's dad. That was uh, what he called pissy pungent favorito. He gave a uh, like spanglish names to a lot of stuff that's where i got the name uh pina for my pineapple strain that i got from those guys um you know pissy pungent favorito man it was that kind of weed where if you have it you know you like got to apologize to people even if they smoke because it's like hey sorry i'm sorry i got this in my pocket guys like you know like hey you need to you need to probably wash your T-shirt and go, you know, take a bath in some tomato juice because you smell like you got dirty laundry and skunk all over you, man. It's just funky and raw. And it was – here's the thing to me is the reason why I'm interested in skunk is not because I'm that impressed by something that smells like a dead skunk. It was because when I had that weed, which was an Afghani, um, it tasted so delicious it's so hard to describe what it tasted like it was this like i don't know man like i you know it's one of those weird ones where i can only describe it as tasting like the color of like a like a parking cone here in the states you know just like it was like this orange not like citrus but it was this it was just this thing that just lights up your tongue like so hard to describe man but it was such an incredible smell and taste and um it was just like my favorite weed ever, and I had one little plant of it, and I grew that. That was the first time in 94 that I grew those seeds that I got, and I never had another thing like it. Um, the closest I saw to it was what I called the Arcata Super Skunk, which I'm not positive if it's the Skunk 6 or the Skunk 4 or any of these other ones that people have. Um, I'm excited to see the Skunk 6 because talking, um, talking to a couple guys uh, – it seemed like it could be the same one. That was like the closest thing that I ever smelled to the pissy pungent was a super skunk. 
and then um you know like honestly like out of the lime like you know you smelled that one it, it's in the ballpark of of animal animal funk skunk there's a lot of skunkiness in the lime the lime will make your clothes smell like a skunk it'll make your car smell like a skunk but up close it smells um like uh usually like a mix of like uh you know gasoline lime peels urinal cakes and uh you know spearmint and earth and moss and funk and but but from a distance it smells like a skunk and there was a lot of weed back in the day that was really skunky from a distance more so than now but then there was some stuff that's there's another skunk too that was afghani based actually there i had a buddy up here um and uh, we called him we called him uh, Grimple, and the weed that his family had we'd call it Grimp's grapes. And to this day, Grimp's grapes is one of those strains that um, is one of those lost lost Grail strains. Like if somebody had that, it would be incredible. It was like when you would open it up in the car, you wouldn't think someone opened weed. You would think somebody uh, drove by a dead skunk, and then when you smelled it up close, it smelled like a skunk but it smelled like pine. And the only reason why it was called grapes was because it was purple and it had nothing to do with the smell. It was skunk pine and it was skunky really um, in, in an amazing way. It was super, super funky. And uh, that was another one. And that was one that you could really easily look at the weed and go, yeah, that's Afghani. That's just a straight Afghani. So, and and, I mean, you can go back and you can read like Marijuana Botany and you can read any of these old books and they'll tell you if you want acrid, skunky, funky weed, you know, it comes from Afghani. And when I smell a skunk, I smell coffee, onion, burnt rubber, garlic, and what everybody calls skunk that you think of when you smell a skunk at a distance. But if you've ever had like a house skunked or a car or ran over a skunk in an old car, it, it, it makes your eyes burn and it smells more like burnt. It smells like, it smells like somebody, you know, put, um, you know, a piece of a tire, a bunch of garlic, a bunch of onions, and they took that all and they lit it on fire and blew it in your face. That's what that and some coffee beans, you know. That's what it really smells like a real fucking dead skunk on the road for people who haven't actually, you know, smelled a you know, an American skunk. It's it's a really, really funky smell. And then there's the smell we think of from weed that's the skunky smell. But um if anybody's gonna have a real roadkill skunk, I mean, there's those those are smells that I've smelled come out of Afghani a lot. It's not rare to smell a garlicky, a oniony, a, a, a coffee-ish. Um those things come out a burnt rubber. So, you know, someone's gonna have to find the right combination of something that smells kinda like what I gave to you. And then have the heavy coffee, the heavy burnt onion, the burnt garlic, the burnt rubber. Those those things are, you know, when I smell a dead skunk up close, that's how it hits me in the nose. Yeah, I mean, that's that's so interesting in relation to that grapes, uh, the Gramps grapes about how it's purple, but it smelled like skunk. Because we also referenced earlier how a lot of purple stuff tends to smell the same. So that's really interesting. I think ultimately the question is, though, is, do you think in theory, cannabis as a whole has the potential to generate almost or including every smell possible, so to speak? I, um, as far as I've seen, I think so. I mean, I know at least at one point it did. I don't know about our current gene pool and what we've done with it because, 
you know, it takes who knows how many thousands or millions of years it took to reach a point of diversity where it really produced everything. And then we kind of grabbed it all and did what we did with it. And now it's been bottlenecked out. And what's interesting with genetics is that everything's still in there, but it's not maybe in their short term. Like we, like there might be tons of stuff with roadkill skunk and I know we could get it back to be that exact thing. Um, and maybe it's there right now, but if it's not there right now, we don't know if it's going to take six months or 6,000 years to get back to the point where we've opened the genetics back up to that point because things get bottlenecked out and we think of them as being completely gone. But if you were to grow millions of these, then, you know, things would pop back out. It's just, we're not, you know, we don't have, there's not enough people in the world. I don't think to, um, bring back the diversity that was there possibly at one point but uh just to answer the question yes or no i think yes i think cannabis has the potential to produce any smell that exists anywhere else in the world including bacterial and fungal smells i think so that's awesome that's i think so as well but i mean yeah it'd be interesting to see what it would take to actually do such a thing given like i mean certainly like for me mango pops up more than any other flavor to me maybe it's just the things i select but it's like given that like yeah there's a lot of things which must go unrepresented yeah and there you know there's things that just really take over gene pools it's really easy um for you know i mean uh you know i'm not a i'm not a terpene scientist but um you know, if such a thing exists. But as far as my understanding is that a lot of times um, it's like uh, like uh, limonene and uh, and myrcene tend to be kind of the like the precursors to a lot of the other terpenes that develop. And I kind of notice that because I'll smell something and I'll go, ah, this one smells like train wreck. And then I'll go over here and I'll go, ah, oh, this one smells like that sweet Afghani kind of berry grape Tootsie Pop kind of smell. And then later on, they develop, and I go, there's none of that left. It's not there at all, but it kind of is there to start. And, um, you know, I think that those things, what happens is they kind of take over, they kind of take over gene pools to where it's like, wow, okay, if you got anything that's got that kind of train wrecky Amsterdam haze smell in there, or you have anything that has that kind of grapey, raspberry, sweet um, thing, it's like they, they take over gene pools so much that I think they've given themselves the reputation of being generic smells at this point because they're just so dominant um, in gene pools. And I think that that, um, you know, everybody hybridizing things and kind of mishmashing and hodgepodge and stuff up, I think over um, – over the years that it's like okay well you have this you have this real special thing over here that smells like roses and now you crossed it with this thing that smells like train wreck and guess what you know rose is not going to overtake train wreck so now you just took a gene pool that had something special in it and you kind of erased it unless you want to grow like i said you want to grow thousands or millions of plants to try to you know recuperate those those kind of funk you know yeah without a doubt I guess it's safe to say one wrong step forward is going to take a crazy amount of effort to undo it in using those seeds generated. 
Yeah, you know, because because uh, you have these different genes, they behave different ways. They don't play well with others at all. They just come in and they just basically, you know, they just they just bully the whole yard, you know. And then it's like, okay, well, we now we have this you know i have one that's really cool um it has that smell but it has all these other smells and it it actually keeps the smell and the other finer smells with it um it's called candelabra i got it from a friend of mine in uh 2004 and it was i used to call it the 10,000 smells and some people smell it and they go oh it smells like train wreck and i'm like dude smell it again and they're like oh it smells like grape you're like smell it again they're like oh it smells like orange it has all these terpenes and then when we see it get tested um you send it to sc labs where they test for like 35 terpenes and it hits for like 33 of them and there's not many strains that do stuff so it really does have a lot of it really does have thousands of flavors in it you know but um but that's a neat one where it has that thing in it that I kind of am turned off by. That's kind of the train wreck smell because it just is, it's like kind of overly common, you know, but it, um, but it has something really nice to it, you know? So, um, it's, they don't, yeah, they don't always ruin everything, but they have a tendency for sure. So, I mean, while we're on the topics of like labs and all the modern kind of techniques that go along with that, the emergence and growing popularity of these kind of um, pre-sexing science kits you can get seems to be growing. Initially, I figured it would probably be something more a breeder would be interested in, but I don't know. It seems to be just on the rise, growing in, in general. Is this something you'd be interested in? Um, because, I mean, given how many seeds you run through, I figure maybe not. Like, I mean, you'd, you'd be spending crazy amounts of money on it, but at the same time, it seems to be a growing technology. Like, do you think it'll stick around long term or not really? I think it'll stick around long term. I think it has its benefits. I think that um, when new technologies come around, the price line tends to drop really fast. And um, anything that's based on technology, uh, it has a big expense to start. And as soon as it's been established, then the price drops and that price carries from the labs to the consumer because they want to get everyone's money right they don't just want people who have a lot of money so they're trying to get their prices down and um i think eventually it would be practical uh my joke as a uh as a as a troll on social media was that i'll do it when it costs less than a pot and some dirt because um i can uh i can grow the plant till it's a male for cheaper than I can get it tested, you know? They want $8 a test, and I can grow a plant until it sexes and see what it is um, for less than that. So yeah. in that case, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to I'm not gonna do it myself. But it would be practical, and it could be practical for certain projects, like if you really don't want the males. I think that it's practical for people who have their areas maxed out and they want to only transplant their females um, so that they don't have to grow the males. For me, um, losing the plants before they show what they are is just foolish because I'm a breeder, you know? Like, if it's if it's a terrible plant, I'm going to kill it. And if it's a good plant, I want to keep it. And if it's a male even better you know like i don't want my best plant to be if i you know whatever i can whatever i can measure just by looking at it and smelling it and stuff and veg i'm hoping that's a male 
you know, because I'm like, okay, this is the one in this breed that I know is killer. Like if I was growing a bunch of deep chunk and I see the one that has the smaller leaves that taco on the edges a little harder um, and I'm and I'm looking at that and I'm associating that with the best type of deep chunk, then I'm like fingers crossed. I'm like, I hope this is a male, you know, because if this is a male, I can tell which ones of the females have that but the males are a lot harder to tell and if i can see these things that i really know relate to the traits that pop up in the females then i'm going to be going okay cool i'm glad it's a male so for me it's not that practical but for people who are um who are growing to produce flowers um exclusively i think that you know i think it's worthwhile i think it's something people can do and um you're going to go from being in your little six packs or your little four inch pots. Um, and instead of going, instead of up potting into all these bigger pots, you're just going to be able to take your females and stick them right into your final pots, you know? So number one, you can skip a transplanting stage. You can skip a nursery stage, um, where you're actually building them up to be ready to go into their final homes. And you can go ahead and get them into their final homes established, um, right away, which is can be a benefit too if you have the right strains. So, yeah, I think it's sure. practical. Yeah, and so how about on the other end of the spectrum with the labs? Oh, hold up, sorry, I wait for this truck to go past my house. I don't know if you can hear it, but it's pretty loud. Yeah, it's not popping up. Sweet. Um, so on the other end of the spectrum with labs, how do you feel about the uh, THC values and I guess the newly emerging terpene values? For someone like you, I guess terpene values are quite important given um, you know, how well your strains do chart on them. There's always been you know, the ongoing debate about um, the, the validity of the THC values given and how they seem to be kind of creeping up over time. What's your take on all of this, you know? And, and how do you think, like, the terpene values are going to slowly over time become uh, more highly valued than the THC values? Um, well, to, to start off, like, I can say that um, I know there's a lot of people who are, as far as inflated numbers, I know there's people who are um, adding resin to their flower samples. And in that case, it's really easy to jump from 21 to 29 or 27 to 32 or, you know, then I know also there's breeders who are using um, testing to make sure that the males they're using are the highest THC male. And that is a new thing. And the fem- testing the females as well is a new thing you didn't used to be able to test. Um, So I think that that will make the numbers jump up too, you know. I think that uh, for me, I'm not looking for the highest THC. I'm looking for the strongest effect. So my joke is that I test on humans, you know. You can test it in the lab all you want, but I've noticed over the years that I, I smoke some stuff from reputable guys that test at reputable labs and the THC might be really high. Um, and it might be really high in super, certain terpenes, but when you know people smoke it, they don't really think it's that strong. It doesn't really hit you that hard. So um, I think really like labs are neat, um, but I think basically they're a little bit more. They're more valuable as far as for finished product, like telling what's good. Um, if we already know it's good, then the lab is cool to tell us why. <laughs> 
So if we go, okay, this is the most potent weed I've ever smoked, um, we want the lab to tell us why. Now we go and we see, okay, well, it turns out it's only 14% THC. Well, how can this be the most potent? Well, here we got CBG, and then it turns out we didn't know, but there's THCV. And then it turns out that there's this certain ratio of this terpene to that terpene, and when they're all together, you get this effect that creates the most potent weed with a 14% THC uh, content, or, you know, however it is. That's hypothetical, of course. But um, for me, as far as breeding, to answer that part of the question, um, you know, I'm... I you know I I'm I'm too young to be a hippie and uh I'm too not hippie to be a hippie as well but I'm kind of a hippie man like I like to look at the plants and kind of talk to the plants and communicate with them and see which one really um you know when I smell it like there's these certain smells that pop out. I mean, cherry limeade and black lime are bred purely on stem rubs. And it's not really something that I can show people what I'm looking for. It's this thing where I go, mm, that's that one. I've seen that before. And when I saw that before, that was incredible. And um, so for me, the labs are cool to tell me what that means. Okay, when I see this, what does that tell me? And then if I can see a correlation that says every time I see this and then when I test it, it turns out that it has this in common, then maybe I can test and I can go for the ones that have more of that, you know? But at this point for me, it's really, um, it's really more a question of, uh, you know, like what do I like and, um, and what kind of makes my brain jump when I see it or I smell it or, you know, that kind of stuff. And I really like it because I know that all of the good things, like I said earlier, that we see in weed, they've been there for a long time. And um, all of the genetics that we have are still here from people doing traditional breeding where they basically are doing just, you know, what I'm talking about. And so, um, you know, I'm comfortable, I'm comfortable, honestly, like with just picking plants and making seeds. And I feel like as long as I do open pollinations, um, to preserve the genetics that I'll be all right, you know, and I, I'm, I'm, I've wised up now because I know that stuff, I know the value of stuff. I used to think that everybody would have the seeds that they gave me because it was their stuff. And now I know better. When someone gives you something, you might be the last person that has it, you know. So, um, you know, I'm I'm into trying to do, trying to do, you know, use labs to get to new places. But at the same time, I've like, I've really realized, like, and you got to keep it all. You got to keep it the old stuff intact, and you gotta you gotta take the new stuff in new directions. And for going in new directions, the labs are cool. But for keeping the old stuff intact, they're worthless. The lab's not going to tell you anything about your open pollination. You know, they're just um, you got to keep it all, no matter what. And then when you're going to selectively line breed, then um, you know the lab telling you that this is the highest THC male that they've ever seen. Hey well you want that highest thc line out of that then that's that's going to be worthwhile you know so um yeah i think they're good to to um tell you what you're seeing you know why is this like this they can explain that for you 
Yeah, without a doubt. Some awesome information there. Just to loop back on one of the points you made a bit earlier about using humans to test it. This is a great point that I've always stood by. The interesting kind of counter-argument to that point, though, is is it not the same people who over time have driven the prioritization of aesthetics, which has led to the loss of certain other qualities? Because I only kind of thought of this idea not long ago and I I realized it is like almost a bit of a dichotomy, you know? It's like the best weed is the stuff that you've got to try for yourself and it's just overall effect. But at the same time, we also knowingly push for the most aesthetic weed, which we do at least now know is generally not the best. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, like a big fat bud, a really, really sugary look, you know, they don't necessarily, I mean, like the black affy that I had, sure, it had big fat buds and it was purple and pretty, but it looked like it had no resin on it. Even when I crossed it with a Hindu Kush, which is a really white looking bud, like incredibly white weed when you grow it indoor. Um, once it was crossed, you'd look at the weed and you'd go, there's no resin on this and you'd break it up and your hands wouldn't get sticky and you'd roll it up and you'd inhale it and you would go, holy shit, this is potent. I mean, just on the, it was the expansion and the exhale and the flavor and then the effect that just immediately got you. Um, it wasn't, you know, to look at it, you would think this is, this is, this stuff sucks. And based on looking, based on that, I would say that probably in test, it probably couldn't have that much THC because it didn't have that big of a percentage of resin. But the flower was incredible, you know, and a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that's all those really cool sativas that people love so much, it, it, it looks bad. It's not good looking stuff. But, I'll tell you what, if you start to think, okay, this is my favorite kind of weed is the sativa, all of a sudden that look is going to become attractive to you because you're like, ooh, that looks like that one. That's the stuff I like, you know? Um, I think that, I mean, it's been documented and a lot of people have spoke on it before that uh, everyone bred things to be fast, sugary, fat. Um, those, you know, as a smoker fast sugary and fat it that doesn't really do anything for you man it's got to have for me i've always bred it sure i like weed to be you know all of those things but then i want to have the really nice smell the really nice taste i want to have a good effect and i'm not um i'm not locked into uh a one effect type of thing you know like i'm not worried if it's a racy sativa or a heavy indica or an ultra potent strain or a very mild strain. For me, I'm like, whatever's special about that strain, that's what I want to maintain about it. So, um, you know, like I really like, um, I like to laugh, you know what I mean? I love like comedy. I love funny movies. I love funny people. I love funny stories. Um, so, if weed will make you giggle, I'm like, oh, what's that one? I got to try to lock that in, you know? I got to make sure I keep that around. And um, and uh, so, like, th- there's those little things that really, those don't show up um, at uh, on a picture on Instagram, you know? So, um, I think that's why right now kind of the king of everything is, um, like, if you look on Instagram and you see a pretty picture and you go, ooh, that's a nice strain, and you click on it, you're like, yeah, it's probably something, probably Cookie Fam, you know, it's Gelato, it's Sherbert, it's um, Cookies, or if not, then it's probably OG or um, – 
you know, cam or something from that, from the family of, of all those fuels and everything like that. And, um, and those are all great strains, but I think the reason why they took over is because they look so pretty. And then when you get some and you try it, you go, Oh, okay. And it's good. But a lot of the stuff over the years, it did just kind of go down the tubes. It looks great. And then it's just not, you know, it's not all that good. Um, I know there was a deal where for a while people loved the the nested calyxes. That's the look where you have like you have like the you have the pod inside the pod inside the pod inside the pod and what happens is there's no room really for the resin to develop. So you wind up with stuff where when you break it up there's really not that much resin. The resin's only on the outside of the bud or in between, you know. Um uh okay. hairs yeah, people think you know the 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 uh, the uh, stigma. The hair is is attractive, so they breed for their weed to be very hairy. Hairy's burn hairs burn hot. They don't produce um, they don't produce resin. I mean, I've seen some where seemingly they do produce resin, but they certainly don't produce resin like the rest of the um, like the flower. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I think it's definitely you know aesthetics and um, and ease of of growing have have um taken stuff down uh down a notch for sure yeah yeah so not trying to have a jab at you or anything but recently in the aficionado catalog we've seen the introduction of some crosses with ziddles and sunset sherbet you know i think a lot of people wouldn't have predicted these ones coming out in your opinion you know, what was the reason behind doing this? Do you like those cuts? Like, do you... The Ziddles is an interesting one because a lot of people reference how, like, it in itself is not a great strain, but there's so much potential to make something with it, you know? Are you of that school of thought as well? Um, I think that the uh, the Skittles has a lot of... Um, it has a lot of neat um, stuff to it. I personally... It's not something I'll grow. Um, it's difficult to really have do nice um you know to come out nicely uh i saw recently um archive just is doing some stuff with a do with a dosi dough i think um it looks really nice it's got a lot a lot of resin um dying breed uh those guys are the guys who named it um skittles and uh you know they they've done cool stuff. I like the I like the OZ Kush, the Eddie Lep, um, uh, basically OG seed crossed with the with the um, Skittles. I like that better than the Skittles myself. It, it reminds me a lot of what I call Sky Cuddler Kush that I have. That's a cross that has some of the old stuff uh, from mine, then mixed in with some like Skywalker and PK and stuff. Um, you know. Honestly, uh, for aficionado people, because people know me from, from, um, from, uh, you know, being at the booth, putting stuff out, um, with aficionado, the only stuff that I ever really did with aficionado was, um, I gave Leo some pollen and told him that it would be great on the, in the pines clone. Uh, that got released as in the pines. I told him I had the black lime and it would work really good with the cam. He gave me that pollen. That was black lime reserve. I released some F3s of what I call red Hindu Kush, which is big red cross Hindu cross pure Kush. Um, and uh, what I gave him some um, some of my sky Skywalker cross sky Jaro to put on uh, 
to put on some stuff and he did that with a louis og and we called that versailles and um other than that man none of none of that stuff is my work i mean all the royal stuff is all coming from mendelbrot um given that to leo to work with uh anything that you see with cookies cherry sherbet skittles i you know i i i i um you know i didn't i didn't make any of that stuff so i can't really speak on it okay and so another kind of interesting topic i've seen is that we've seen both an increase in price of seeds and an increase in quality or maybe consistency in recent years however We've also seen an increase in price for some seeds that don't equally have an increase in quality. Do you think this is going to continue? Do you think that, like, you know, I think that there will always be a market for high-priced seeds that are incredibly good quality, and we've got some of that right now. But I also think that, yeah, like, we might get more and more people selling bunk seeds for just more. Do you think that's going to continue, or do you even agree with the idea that the price of seeds has kind of increased over time? Um... You know, I mean, um, I think the most expensive stuff that I really saw was like some of that, I guess, like alien stuff. Uh, I heard people were doing those for like, you know, a thousand and fifteen hundred. And of course, people do like charity auctions and stuff and and stuff brings in like ridiculously high prices. But people people spend different for that kind of stuff because, um, you know, it's just a different thing. And, uh, it's like buying a thousand dollar plate of food or something, you know? But, um, as far as like stuff being high priced, I mean, like, uh, black lime reserve, the donation on that was 250. And a lot of people said, Oh, that's ridiculous. That's way too much. Anything over a hundred bucks for 10 seeds is crazy. And then, you know, they were gone and then everybody was like, oh, where are they? And it's like, well, there's only 300 packs. That's why, you know, they, they have – there's an added value when you when you have leverage basically for your product because it's super limited, you know. And I don't mean for myself but for the people who actually got those seeds, you know. Uh, Black Lime Reserve is a little bit more sought after than something that comes out of a pack of seeds that you could buy from a huge company. And there's millions of packs, you know, because um, – you know, it's harder to get, but, um, I think, uh, you know, there's, there's been stuff over the years that's, that's, um, ridiculously expensive and there's stuff that's not ridiculous, of course. And I, you know, sometimes I kind of wonder like, um, you know, I see breeders that make certain stuff and I'm like, wow, those are so, that's, that's such a small amount to get for the seeds. And it's not because the seeds, it's not the value of a seed. A seed is worth nothing. You know what I mean? It's the genetics that are inside the seed. What is this seed? Otherwise it's, you know, a hemp seed's a hemp seed. You can buy it by the pound. But, um, for me, if there's something that is really special, I'm willing, you know, I've, I've given people, uh, I've given people $200, $300 for 10 seeds because, you know, it was something that I wanted. And I, I know the value because I can take a pack of seeds and I can get a whole ton for them. I mean, not for them, but, um, uh, out of them, you know what I mean? Like you can go, okay, well, like right now I have Bodie's, uh, 
super snow lotus. It's super skunk cross snow lotus. And I'm like, well, I just want to butt them out and see what they are. But I go, oh, I'm going to keep that one male and I'm going to go ahead and make sure that out of my one pack of seeds, I have like a few hundred more seeds out of them. So it's like for one pack of seeds, you can get hundreds of seeds. And, uh, and of course, you could get thousands or millions if you were to clone them up and stuff. But, um, you know, I think seed value is a trip like um, – if it's really special enough, I think stuff is worth it. Like if somebody told me, oh, dude, I got chemist stuff. That's the stuff you were talking about, dude. I'd be like, well, what do you want for them? You know, I mean, like if I got to trade somebody, if I got to trade somebody like three pounds of cherry limeade and they got the real thing, I'm going to be like, dude, dude, here we go right now. Give me those. Give me 15 seeds. I'll give you <laughs> three pounds of weed because it's something that I really want. So, you know, value is weird, man. Like, you know, what's a dog worth? What's a horse worth? Well, you know, some horses are worth dog food and some horses are worth, you know, $800,000 or some horses are worth $5 million. It just depends on how it breeds, what it brings to the table and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, I think we're going to start seeing a lot more seeds that are a lot cheaper because seeds are really easy to produce. And if people are willing to part with their genetics for cheap, then you can produce seeds for very cheap. It's the same process pretty much as producing hemp seeds and you can buy those suckers for cheap, right? So uh, I think also that there will start to be seeds that are more and more premium as well to where people go, yeah, these are – you know, this ridiculous amount for this pack of seeds. Um, you know, when I did Black Lime Reserve, I told everybody, hey, if you don't find what I, if, you know, I showed everybody what the weed looks like out of, out of off of good plants. I said, if you don't get this like this in your pack, come back to me. I'll give you two more packs. So people look at it and they go, oh, well, that's so out of control. And I'm like, yeah, but there's not any, there's not anybody else who's telling you right up front, if you don't get what you want, I'm not saying if they don't germinate, I'm not saying if you get something that's intersex or if you get these issues, I'm saying that if it just, you don't like it, like a restaurant, like you, you send out the steak and you asked it for it to be rare and it comes out and it's rare and you didn't realize you don't like rare steak, I'm giving you another steak. You know, like even if it's their fault, basically, I was still guaranteeing those seeds. And um, I didn't really get anybody who ever took me up on that. And I didn't get any complaints or anything. But I think that um, that if people are willing to, um, you know, like I, when I put those out, people would contact me and they'd say, hey, uh, is it all right if I make seeds? And I'd be like, there's the only the – only, um, rule is that you make some good ones you know make some nice stuff and then they'd say well what do i look for and i'd say well what do you want from the seeds and as a breeder i would tell them here is what here here's here's some of the markers for these traits and here's some of the markers for those traits so that hey you want the one that's really really limey let me send me pictures of your plants and i'll tell you which one is most likely to be that throwback to that old lime line that is you know the genetics are basically you know, locked together where you get this leaf type, you're probably going to get the lime smell, you know, you get the smell, there it is, you know, and um, so I feel like if people want to really put out seeds for really high prices, and they're willing to give you a service that goes beyond just this little thing of seeds, I feel like they're valuable and they're worth something extra. And then if somebody's going to say, hey, here's some seeds, I don't ever want to hear nothing about it, these cost 20 bucks a pack, cool, that's cool too, you know, but it just all... 
Um, it all depends on how people want to do their thing. And I think it really comes down to just uh, being ethical and saying, this is what this really is. Um, if you find out it's not what it is, put it on your website, put it on your, you know, do whatever. Like I have my, my root beer. I thought for years it was 707 headband. It turns out, no, it's the headband they call LA Kush. It's the mother of the 707 headband. So it's in the ballpark, but I'm like, sorry guys, it's not 707 headband. And this is a strain's not even released, but I've been putting out, um, info about it. And I, you know, I feel like you're supposed to have the right info. So when you do go to breed, like people are like, don't breed with my stuff. I'm like, dude, you ain't going to live forever. You know, like everybody shouldn't have to wait for you to die to go, okay, well now I can do these seeds. Like, you know, it's just a, it's just a question of, I think, um, of, um, you know, quality and like, uh, you know, commitment to what, whatever the thing is. And so that's your difference between your $20 seeds and your, and your whatever, $20,000 seeds, who knows how high prices are going to get in the future when stuff is, um, you know, whatever's more sought after. Cause now there's a bigger community of people, which causes more demand, you know? So we'll see. Yeah. So it almost raises another interesting point. At which point do you think someone can call uh, some work? I won't say a cross because maybe you've just actually line bred it. But at what point can you call work your own? You know, if you took Mendelbrot's Royal and took it to the F20, do you think it would be fair to say it's kind of your own at that point? And likewise, you know, if you make an F1, is do you feel like you can really kind of say it's yours in the sense of like it's, you know what I mean? Like it's not just kind of borrowing off other people's stuff too heavily? I think that the I think that where the line is drawn, um, I think that when you make a hybrid, um, and it's just a fresh hybrid of other people's work, I think that it's just a hybrid of other people's work, and you did a selection, and that's cool, and that's like the beginning of a process. Um, I think that as soon as you take it in a new direction, where what you get doesn't come out of the things that you started with then it's deserving of a new name because otherwise it's almost a misrepresentation of the old genetics. So like in this case, if I take, you know, like I have cherry limeade, right? And I go, okay, here's uh, black lime cross cherry pie and I make those seeds. Well, it's black lime cross cherry pie. But when I take a selection out of the F1s and I breed it in a new direction and now it's got some of the terpenes of the cherry pie but it's got the it's got the strength and the stoniness and the increased size of the black lime and um you know i keep taking it in further and further and further to the point where um you can't get those plants from what you started with then you know that's a new thing and uh i don't think you ever get so far into something where you don't need to give people credit or um, you don't need to give a background of it. I feel like that stuff is more of like a academic thing. Like it's more of a of, of like a thing for science where you say, hey, here's what this is. Because when people know what this is, if we ever need to recreate it, we can recreate it. Like what if, you know, say like cherry limeade, I lost it all, but somebody has one clone and it turns out that it's the cure for some crazy disease. And then I lose, then they lose the clone and they're like, well, what was it? And I'm like, well, I don't know what it was. I, you know, 
It's like, well, then now nobody knows what it was, so they don't know where to look for it. So if it became really useful and valuable at a certain point, from a scientific perspective, it's like you just screwed things up. Now it's not really what it's supposed to be. Nobody can backtrack. Nobody can figure out what it is. And, um, you know, so I, I think like that's like why it's really important in, in ways to have your have your, um, you know, your lineages there and um, and give credit to people because they did do some work. And then, you know, for your work, then you do then you deserve some credit too. everyone deserves what they deserve, but they don't just deserve everything. You know, like just because somebody has a plant doesn't mean now they deserve all the credit for that plant. Like there's other people who who should get some credit, too. Like if I knew the people who gave the seeds to dudes who brought them here to California that were in Afghanistan, I'd be like, yeah, it's dude over there in Afghanistan. So, and so he's, he was the guy who had him in Afghanistan. And, but I don't, I only know him back to a certain place. And, um, and so I'll tell you, you know, black lime comes back from Heath and Ian and goes back to John and it goes back to, um, this Burmese, uh, and it goes back to Afghani and Oaxacan and Northern lights and, you know, that's, that's all I know about it. That's as far back as it goes. And I don't lose anything by saying that, um, that it all comes, that, that stuff comes from, from places like that. And, um, it's like, yeah, the, the reason why black lime is black lime is because I chose a sport plant out of, um, you know, as an oddball in a, in a population. And then I crossed it with something that was in a completely different side of the spectrum. And then I got it to be where it took something from both places for the flavor and for the plant. And I made it into something and it's something that's, it's totally different. Like you can't show it to either of the people who it originally came from and they go, Oh, that's my stuff. They're like, oh, this is nice. This is something new. I've never seen this. And so at that point, I feel like now that's a new thing. And sure, you deserve credit for what that is. Um, but, you know, ethics is ethics is weird, man. You know, ethics is a weird subject because uh, it, it all comes down to belief. And belief isn't, um, you know, belief in right or wrong or good or bad. It's not like a concrete thing, you know. Some people are... Some people are spiritual and they're cannibals, you know, or some people are, you know, it's like whatever. It's just everybody – basically what I what I think comes down to with like ethics with what's yours and what's not yours and all that is basically like if you have rules or you have things that you hold other people to um, – you know, you make the rules, so follow the damn rules. They're your rules. You know, don't be mad about somebody doing something that you do all the time. Like, that just isn't, that doesn't make any sense, you know? So, um, you know, I think it just, it, it's just all a matter of, you know, do real work, make real stuff happen, and then you get the credit for what you did. You don't, I don't need the credit from, from Ian. I don't need the credit from Heath. I get the credit for doing what I did and they get their credit for doing what they did, you know? So, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, on the topic of ethics and potentially questionable ones, I remember around the time of the Emerald Cup, or I think maybe even the day after it, you put up a post basically saying, you know, along the lines of you knew that you weren't going to get placed where you should have been and that you know, hinted to the idea that maybe there was some more politics behind the scenes in regards to the judging than what the public was aware of. Did I just kind of misinterpret that post or is there something a little more yeah. sinister going on? 
No, you know what was going on, honestly, was people were saying that I was going to win. And they were saying that I was going to win because it was fixed. And the reason why I won was because I was going to win no matter what. And my weed probably wasn't really that good anyway. And um, the contest isn't blind and all this different stuff. And, um, you know, what I basically was saying was, look, I've won third, I've won second, I've won first all in a row. If you guys think I'm going to take first again when there's going to probably be a thousand entries from all over California, you guys are tripping because it's just not going to happen. There was no way that I was going to do that again. It just not it just wasn't possible. There's not like, you know, like yeah, I got good weed. Um but even if, you know, there is it, People are like, oh, well, I know who's going to win. That guy's going to win. And I'm like, you guys really think I'm going to win again? You know? And they were like, well, yeah, of course you'll win again because that's why you won in the first place. And I'm like, no, I really won in the first place. And I can tell you right now that I'm not going to win again because I know I really won. Now, if it was fixed, I'd be like, yep, I'm going to win. I know I'm going to win because it's fixed. I always win. But you know, I, that's not why I won, man. I won because I had, because everybody entered fuel and everybody entered fruit and I entered fruit fuel and everybody's purple doesn't get you high and everybody's kush tastes like kush. And I entered, I entered purple weed that gets you high, tastes like purple, tastes like kush, tastes like a bunch of other crazy stuff too. I took seven hours to trim three ounces, you know, and that's just how I did it. You know, I didn't touch the weed when I cut it off the plant. I did all this special stuff and, um, you know, it gave me an edge and I just knew the reality was, that's why I put up the post. I'm like, dude, if you guys really think that, you know, I'm big headed enough to go in here and think I'm going to win, you know, I I, I just, I don't believe, I don't believe that. I don't think it can be done. I don't think anybody's going to win this sucker two years in a row. Sure. Third, second, first, you know, I always do pretty well, but it's because of those tricks I use to make my stuff look unhandled. I, you know, people's weeds dry in seven days. My weed ain't dry for 24 days. You know, people's weed is cut down and put in a wheelbarrow. Mine's cut down and stuck on a hanger. People's weed is touched with hands. I touch the stem. People trim the weed and they put it in a pile. People pull weed out of bags. Their trimmers are trimming. I'm like, no, man, this stuff is like, this is like scientific grade right here. You know, that's like, these are specimens of the plant perfectly preserved. But I, 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 you know, did I think I'd probably be in the top 10? Yeah, I did because I know how much care I put into those entries. But you know, I knew there was no way I was going to win. And that, that's what the post was about. And there was, and I was joking, um, it was tongue in cheek. I was saying, Oh yeah, you know, uh, uh, here's Swami talking to Tim, figuring out how to let me win, you know? But, um, but it was really, it, it was because, you know, I was making fun of people who were, who were making fun of me because it, you know, it, it was just unrealistic people. Basically if people, um, if people lose, it's fixed. If they win, it's fair. That's how people think, you know? They're like, well, my friend didn't win, so it's fixed. And then when their friend wins, they're like, hell yeah, this is a good contest because my friend won. It's like, dude, people's weed's not just good because it's yours. It's not just good because it's your friend's. It's only good if it's good. And the weed I entered was good, and that's why I won. You know, It doesn't mean I can do it every time. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you mentioned that because 
I was going to say, your online presence, in my opinion, and I hope you don't take any offense to this, it's kind of like semi-troll in a lot of ways. Like It's like a lot of good jokes followed up with kind of like a, no, nah, I'm just kidding type of thing. And no, it is. I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm a fun lover. You know, I'm not mean about stuff. I don't bully people, but, um, but, um, you know, like I said, I like to laugh, man. I like to make people laugh. I think like laughing is one of the greatest things there is. That's why, you know, like if, if people, if people are into the weed community and they don't like to laugh, like, I don't know what they're smoking, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just relating to that, do you think that things in general have gotten a bit uptight and tense in the community and maybe we could use a bit more of this kind of just, you know, kind of lighthearted fun? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, it, it's hard because everybody's got a different sense of humor. Some people take things too far. Some people don't know when they're being a bully. Some people don't, they're not really intelligent enough to actually make a joke that's like a joke. And their joke is just, you know, calling somebody fat or calling somebody stupid or calling somebody a fag. And they think that's a joke, you know, like some people just, they're, they're not, they, they're, they're, they're missing it. And they're like, oh, well, you do the same thing. And I'm like, no, I don't, man. I make jokes, dude. These are jokes, you know, and a joke might be, yeah, a little over the top. And it might, you know, generally, if you see me say something offensive to somebody, um, that means they're my friend. And when they read it, they know that I, that I'm joking with them because we have, we, we have a rapport, you know, um, some people just are just, you know, trolling strangers and they're just, you know, uh, I get people on my stuff sometimes who just come on and go, Oh, and make, you know, tell mom jokes and they don't know me. And I'm like, dude, you know, uh, that's, you know, you're an idiot. This is not, not acceptable. But I think as far as like, you know, like, yeah, as far as like, just like fun loving stuff, I mean, man, this is, uh, this is, you know, everything's different now. There's all these people coming in and they're uptight and they're different people. But back in the day, it was like if, if somebody smokes weed and they grow weed, you know, they're kind of a smart ass. You know, they're kind of a joker. And all of us who are a little more old school, we can recognize each other and go, yeah, that dude, that dude right there, he's full of shit. You know, that's why, you know, he's funny because he's he's being funny. He's not, um, you know, it's just, it's just, I don't know, man, there's different levels to, to, to people's, um, banter and different stuff like that. And, um, you know, I, I feel like a, a lot of people just, they just basically bully people and they're jerks and they, you know, people don't know that it's not serious and, uh, you know, it's just out of context and stuff. It's like, it's gotta, you know, it's gotta kind of, you gotta kind of have a context. I don't mess with anybody who I don't know. Like, honestly, I, I, you know, I, I know human nature well enough to be like, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna mess with people who I don't know. They have to know I'm messing with them. And, um, you know, otherwise it's dangerous and it, it can be, uh, cruel and it just kind of, uh, not staying in your own lane, you know, like talking to, you know, I'm from the counterculture, man. Like you talk about people, that's like, you know, that's not cool. That's like snitching, you know? So for me, I, I, I'm not into, uh, you know, I'm not into being a jerk like that, but yeah, like you said, like I'm a little trolly, but I, you know, I'm trolling my friends, man. I troll round table selections. I troll, uh, you know, I, I, I troll, I just, I, you know, I, and we say trolling now, it used to just be called fucking with people. You're just messing around, you're having fun, you know? And, uh, and that's what I do. And I, I think that, um, that needs to be like something that hangs around as far as people, 
uh, being able to laugh at themselves, being able to laugh at stuff that's going on, laugh at situations, laugh at ideas. You know, I'm not really trying to laugh at people. I'm trying to laugh at myself. I'm trying to laugh at the joke, you know? And, um, and I think that goes hand in hand with weed. Weed is funny, man. Weed makes you giggle. Weed makes you laugh. People look funny when they're high. You know, people get high and they look like, you know, you might have a buddy who gets high and he looks like a tired giraffe or something. You know, you're just like, man, this is, you know, I think it goes together with the whole thing. And I think if that kind of gets lost and it becomes this, you know, I see people who are all science and they're all technique and they're all this and they're all that. And I'm like, man, do you guys smoke this shit or what? You know, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, so, I mean, on the topic of fucking with friends, or maybe just more generally friends, um, we, in regards to freeborn selections, would you ever consider doing any collaborative work? And if so, you know, who are the kind of friends you'd love to jump on board with? Man, yeah, I mean, that's like a cool thing about. Um about doing something like that is, you know, like, uh, you know, like, uh, man, coastal seeds, super cool. I, I've already, I've already done roundabout stuff with them. Um, Bodie, of course, Bodie's just the nicest guy. Uh, just, um, super cool dude. Um, let me see. Coastal Bodie, you know, Coastal being uh, Bamboo, Mr. Bob, uh, Hannah Bolt, Kagyu, those guys, they're just, they're really kind of on to like the whole, they understand weed, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, like, let me see, I, you know, this, every time people get into lists, it's like, oh, I'm going to leave people out. Uh, Chris at uh, OG, the real OG Cushman at Source Genetics. Um, uh, you know, uh, Kingston at Verified Genetics, um, Art at Roundtable Selections. Uh, man, I just, I know I'm going to leave out half of everybody, but like these are people who I already kind of work with, you know, like I've already, people have already worked with stuff. Diane Breed's has already, Diane Breed has already worked with stuff. Uh, Emerald Mountain, um, I'm sorry if you get a flood of inbox messages from your friends who are angry. <laughs> They're going to be like, man, you didn't give me a shout out. Uh, you know, like, um, I'm just trying to think of stuff I have going. Like, uh, what do I got going right now? Like, uh, extra uh, shout un- out to art. A good buddy. Yeah, of course, man. Art's hella cool. And like, uh, uh, unknown profit. Um, uh, who else, you know? man i did i'm trying to think of like what i'm growing now that i'm actually probably going to wind up making something with that i can just hit them up and go hey dude we should you know we want to do something with this uh so there's a good list to say the least i guess yeah it's a good list i mean i man i really like the people who i like the people who go back a little ways i like the people who are really into it you can kind of talk to people and know um that they're into it not for the scene but because they're into the plant um you know, any anybody man who's really into weed, who's 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 chill and who's a smart ass or whatever, you know, just like uh, man, I know there's a bunch. I should I should I should have been probably on my phone looking at stuff right now so I could tell you. But yeah, I mean, 
um, you know, I do some work like with uh, Kevin Jodry up there. He he pops stuff for me. He hooks me up with clones. Um, I've done some stuff with him. Uh, there's a lot of uh going on because that's my that's my brain hitting the hitting a wall with all of it. Um, that's so good. I'll, I'll edit but, it all out. You just sound super super <laughs> eloquent. Super super slick, man. This slick talker. Um, <laughs> But yeah, man, basically like, you know, just, just, just anybody who's really into doing stuff. And, um, you know, most of the people who I named, it's not because uh, there's a lot of people who I'd like to work with who I don't name. The people who I did name are people who we've already done something with, or they gave me some stock and said I could work with it, or I gave them some stock and said that they could work with it. And maybe they've already made some crosses. I've already made some crosses and so that you know that's that's the people kind of that I mentioned it's less yeah. people who I'd want to work with and more people who I already do work with you know so as far as people you know who I'd want to work of course there's there's a bunch of them man like I uh you know uh, brothers grandman they're super cool people um uh jeez just you know there's there's all kinds of guys actually um uh duke diamond he gave me some really cool seeds and i'm i'm looking forward to doing something with those next year i'll probably pop all of those and that's like a super generous dude who when i asked him yeah can i get a pack of this he's like well how many would you plant you know i'm like man i don't know probably only like you know 35 at a time or something and he's like oh cool i'll give you like 50 or 75 you know so you can go through them and i was like shit okay right on you know like bodie man i i met bodie maybe for five minutes and the next time i saw him he had a gift for me for christmas you know like they're just (laughs) there's some people you know bamboo man super nice guy um you know kev up there he always hooks me up with stuff he's always looks out for me um you know all the art you know they're they're always um it's just people who we're all kind of looking out for each other we're trying to see each other do better and um we all kind of know where we're coming from because in the past everybody was kind of uh, in a in a certain regard as far as like society we were all kind of like you know on the outskirts like deemed by society as kind of like being loser potheads you know and now all of a sudden people are like oh no you guys are the t- you guys are the best and you guys are good at this and blah blah, blah. and I'm like all right cool you know that's great i'm glad it can turn into something since i already spent my whole life doing it but um but you know you can kind of you meet those people and you and you know um you know that they're that they've been around and they've done stuff you know i mean uh swamp boys those guys are cool like uh i've still never met them but you know i you know we troll each other lightly and like i said you can just tell like people have been around they're smart asses we're all kind of on a on a little level we're all totally different you know what i mean none of us are really you know that's the thing is that's what's the same about us is we're all hella different so um yeah, man, anybody who's who's really into doing stuff for the plant's sake for itself and not just to not just to come up and, and, and look hype, you know? So Yeah, for sure. And so I'm interested, you know, given your kind of um you know, closeness I will put it as with Frenchie through whole aficionado, has that influenced any of your breeding? Like has he ever mentioned anything or have you ever tried to maybe create something that was more well suited for kind of you know these really high quality hash production methods and if so what type of things would you be looking to do if you were trying to pursue that 
Well, that's kind of an interesting one. I mean, Frenchie's cool in that, you know, he'll take something and he'll make it and, you know, he might make a few different things at once and you get to kind of see, okay, well, this comes out like this and this comes out like that. You know, I was making hash for a long time and then as soon as I started seeing people really do it a lot, I kind of got bored with it. As soon as I saw people get this really, really crazy high grade hash, I was like, well, I was just waiting to see that and they already did it. So I kind of just stopped doing it. And so I really like to give stuff to people who do take the time to do that because to me, that's like a whole other aspect that's kind of like going all into that where, you know, for me, it was, you know, I used to make hash. I used to make dry hash. I used to make uh, water hash and, um, you know, being able to go now and go, okay, you know, Frenchie, here's some of this and he, and he makes it up and it's like, okay, wow, look at the difference in texture on this. I thought that was going to happen. Okay. This stuff is like liquid. This is water hash, but it's like liquid or give something to somebody who, who makes, um, who makes, um, butane extracts, you know, uh, and go, okay, that does that. Look at how much terpenes is in this. This is ridiculous. It, it gives you a little insight into genetics. And as far as like, um, steering the breeding, um, what's really cool is that I've always bred really for the smoke. And when you're breeding for the smoke, coincidentally, you're breeding for the extract because a plant that doesn't smoke well, doesn't typically extract well. Although I'm sure there's exceptions to it because some plants don't smoke well because they have a tiny amount of resin. And once you extract it, the resin might actually be exceptional, but, um, uh, for me, it's been cool with, um, seeing some stuff that Frenchie does where, you know, he makes it and I'm like, whoa, this stuff just turns into straight liquid or, whoa, this stuff sugars out really crazy. And, um, you know, uh, then, you know, Frenchie's, Frenchie's an old school dude. Like, you know, Frenchie's from like the generation of people who taught me about weed. And so they're into different things. He's into dark pressed hash. And I was making dark pressed hash when I met him. And he's into, um, you know, he's, he's into, you know, he's different, man. He's number one, he's older. Number two, he's European. And that comes down to, you know, some different, there's different uh, mindsets. He's looking at different stuff than other people are looking at. And then, um, and number three, he's Frenchy, man. He's a fucking character. Frenchy's a hilarious dude. Like, uh, he's just like, you know, the, he's, he's just, uh, he's Frenchy, man. He's a trip, you know, he's got a lot of charisma. Yeah. Yeah. All righty. And so how do you feel about the topic of, uh, tobacco and cannabis being mixed together. It's something we very, very briefly touched on with Bodhi, but it's something I want to get into more because I feel like as time's gone by and there's been an increasing focus on the flavor and the terpenes of modern cannabis, I feel like tobacco has slowly crept out because it's almost like it's... A lot of people would argue that it can detract from some of the natural flavors, and so given there was that focus on flavor, its usage kind of fell off a bit. Do you feel that's the case and do you feel like it, it is an overall negative or maybe it has like its place in the world of cannabis? Um, well, this is a this is a trippy one for me. Um, it's kind of a it's kind of a slippery slope because uh, for years, all right, I never smoked I never smoked um, 
tobacco. I'm not a tobacco smoker. I didn't like, you know, some people are like, oh, I'm 15. I'm smoking cigarettes. You know, I didn't ever smoke cigarettes. My mom smoked a little when I was a kid. I hated the smell. I was never into it. And then, uh, you know, I think maybe um, we had a, we got a friend um, and he, and his dad is, I think, Spanish. I'm not sure, man. He had one of these accents where he lives in like three countries in Europe, so you can't really pin down his accent really well. He's like Italian, Spanish, and something else, you know? And he was like one of these kind of, one of these old school hardcore dudes. Um, he was, uh, he was a, he was an outlaw, you know? And he would, he would, we saw him when we were smoking when I was like 15 or something, you know, 14, and we were really getting smoking. We saw that over there at their house, they would smoke with tobacco. So we never really, we never really did it. And then, you know, I was, a, I was a dude who, um, you know, like I, I took mushrooms for the first time, man, when I was at like 12 years old at school, you know what I mean? <laughs> so like, I'm like, I was like a cosmonaut at one point, you know? So basically, um, one time my buddy, uh, see money he goes hey let's roll one up like let's roll one up like those guys down there he goes i'm gonna take a little bit of tobacco and a little bit of weed and then we're gonna put a little bit of hash and a little bit of keef in there and man we lit it up and i think we each maybe took like four hits and we were so gone we couldn't believe it because we had never experienced nicotine before and when you're not a nicotine user it's a really really intense drug it's one of the strongest drugs there is it gives you a really heavy heavy rush in the face and it makes your feet feel light you kind of feel like a spaceman um and it was really neat and then i think it was all the way maybe two or three years later um one of my closest friends man uh uh guy named moise he was uh he was like oh let's smoke this i got this i got this jamaican tobacco it's called fronto you know and I was like, oh, yeah? And he goes, yeah, you know, you put it in a bong a little bit with some weed, man. It gets you super high, you know, like it's like nitrous or something. And I was like, oh, okay, crazy. And so I was like, all right. And <clears throat> so I tried it and I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, my God, this is like smoke. This is like smoking that tobacco, but this is way more intense, you know. And so, um, you know, that was my kind of my experience with it, but I was always anti-tobacco. Like I said, I don't like the smell. I don't like the fact that, you know, I knew a lot of smokers who got cancer and, you know, like not to bl not to say it was definitely tobacco, but of course they're smoking this, you know, big tobacco products that aren't probably even anywhere near as good for you considering there's like 800 additives, a lot different than smoking a plant that's growing in the ground, you know? And, uh, so then I think it was maybe about 2006, um, you know, I'm hanging out with Moise and every, he's always smoking blend. We call him Mo blend, you know, blend, blend, he's smoking blends, you know? So he's rolling these big Bob Marley cones all the time. And, uh, so I'm always like, man, roll, roll up, roll up, a roll up a ITAL, roll up one with no tobacco, just roll one with weed, roll one with weed. He's like, nah, man, I want to smoke a blend. So I'm like, all right. So after a while, I'm like, man, screw it. Let me hit the blend. So I start hitting the blend. And after a while, I like get this real, like, um, you know, just like, man, hard to describe, like just this feeling of like well-being 
and not the edge that the heavy weed would give me where I'd get the little bit of like unexplainable paranoia a little bit, you know? And so after a while, I, yeah, I started, uh, I started smoking, um, man, I started smoking blends. And so from 2007, maybe until probably 2000, geez, 2007 to maybe 2010 or something, I smoked blends. And what was interesting was I was breeding at the time and I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't condone smoking tobacco in any way. Anybody who's listening to it, you know, that's why I said it's a slippery slope. But here's the deal. There's very few strains that the terpene profile can cut through tobacco. And there's very few strains that when you are a nicotine user will boost the effect of the nicotine to a point of giving you a really heavy head rush even when you smoke tobacco fairly often. And those strains are the really heavy-duty ones that are the very best weed. And so if you have a plant and you're a blend smoker and it's good in a blend, you know it's the best weed, you know? And I, I don't, you know, it's a, it's one of those weird things. It's like, you know, um, it's like, uh, you know, like a badass jazz dude like Bird who shoots heroin telling you not to do heroin, you know? Like, it's like it's not the it's not the tobacco that helps you breed but you know i can't really say that it didn't um that it didn't help me to develop a couple of strains you know black lime and root beer were the two strains that no matter what you could always put them in a blend and they would launch you straight to the moon every time and then you try some other stuff and it just didn't work you know it's just like they're the ones that really work that way so for me i can say um you know, if anybody is going to smoke tobacco, don't smoke any of that big tobacco stuff. Smoke, smoke a, grow a plant, learn how to dry it. Um, you know, I used to smoke, I know it's big tobacco till still, you know, but me and Moise would smoke, uh, American spirit and at least it doesn't have the additives in it. It's probably still pretty nasty just from how they grow it. But, um, um, you know, it's a plant, man. It's, it's, you know, I think it's really got a bad rap because people use it wrong. Um, I talked to my doctor about how I was smoking blends and he was like, yeah, you know, that's not really, um, a, a tobacco user who usually falls under the statistics of people who are going to be really unhealthy for it. They're smoking a lot more tobacco than you're talking about right now, you know? And I was like, oh, okay. And, you know, I just wound up quitting because um, I can tell you it is hard on your lungs. But my lungs do feel like they felt before I ever smoked tobacco. You know, they do feel like they've come back to being totally normal again. But, you know, I couldn't breathe as well. I didn't do as good like trying to run away in the woods or anything like that when I was smoking t- tobacco. So, you know, it, it, it is dangerous and it is harmful. But, um, that doesn't mean that it's dangerous or harmful to take a puff of it here or there or, you know, whatever so it's an interesting thing it definitely uh, it's definitely um a, a trippy subject and uh um you know there there man there's tobacco i got this tobacco um i got this tobacco back in the day uh, uh and this guy gave it to me and he said oh do you blend and i said you know yeah and he, he goes oh just put a little of this in there and i took it home and and i put it in the bong and i smoked it in the bong and what happened was I woke up 
um, you know, 45 seconds later on the ground asking for a towel, laughing and crying because, um, you know, I had snot coming out my nose and I had drool running down my face and I was laying on the carpet like I was doing snow angels and, um, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. And that, what that was, that was the, that was the, um, you know, the old stuff. That was the, the rustica. And, um, that's the original thick leaf Indian tobacco. That's, that's, um, you know, basically for, for, uh, uh, a medicine man to smoke, you know, or kind of what they really, what they would smoke when you see people smoking, you know, in a peace pipe and stuff, it's this thick, hardcore tobacco. Um, it's like, if tobacco is like paper, it's almost like cardboard. And, um, when, when you smoke that, that's not like smoking a cigarette, man. That's like, that's like, you know, it, it's like something you'd see in a movie and somebody, you know, it looked like somebody must've blew ayahuasca up my nose or something. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Blow cool. gun. It was, yeah, that was crazy. So anyway, that's my experience with, with, um, tobacco. If people are smoking it now, every once in a while, I might smoke a little bit. Um, I didn't quit in the way that I went, I'm quitting. I just went, I just quit in the way that I just didn't smoke it anymore. You know, I never got smoking it with weed. Um, I feel like I didn't get addicted. Like other people got addicted to it. I don't know if there's something to that or not. I'm really strong willed. Um, so I was able to just smoke tobacco every day, all day for years, and then just quit in a day cold turkey. And I, I did that a couple times. I started smoking again after another year or whatever, and then I just quit again cold turkey, you know. So. Yeah, wow, nice. I'm sure a lot of people wish they could do that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I think a lot of it, you know, I was talking to a, to an old school friend of mine, and he said, you know, he used to smoke um, – he used to smoke some big name tobacco back in the day and when he would quit he would get terrible headaches and he would feel really bad and then he started smoking american spirit and he smoked just as much and then when he would quit he wouldn't get the headaches and he wouldn't be that bad to quit and he associated it with the additives and he believes that the additives are more addictive than the actual nicotine so yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Anecdotal no, I, evidence, but he, he, he felt that way. So No, I think that's very much very much true because um, a lot of people I know who have tried to use the nicotine-type vape pens say it's nowhere near as gratifying as an actual, an actual cigarette, and that should automatically show that, yeah, like a lot of the other chemicals. Plus, also, there's studies that show that um, like organically grown tobacco, like non-big stuff, um, it the the chance of it giving you cancer is greatly diminished because all the additives are far more carcinogenic than the actual tobacco plant itself. Yeah, I mean, I can believe it. You know, I and and we know there's a lot of those additives, and we know uh, that those additives are related to addiction and um, and health problems, and uh, and and most of the studies done on tobacco are done on. Um, they're done on that tobacco. They're not done on, on pure tobacco. So it's really hard uh, to pin down what is really the problem. I, I can tell you for sure that smoking my own tobacco that I grow, it's still really bad for your lungs and it's still really hard on your respiratory system and everything. But, um, but you know, I, I feel like there's um, – I feel like, you know, it's, it, it's definitely a, a step up from smoking all that other nasty stuff they put in there. 
Yeah, without a doubt. And so, I mean, if we just to take a step back and take a more macro view of the whole scene, I've heard a few people describe breeding in general as falling into kind of two categories at the moment. We've kind of got, you know, your new school breeders who are, you know, running with, you know, like your dosy does and your Girl Scout cookies and all that type of stuff. And, and that's got its own merit. And then you've got the other camp, which is more looking to delve into the older work, preservation work, land raise, or just working in that general direction. Do you think this trend will continue? And if so, do you think the divide will get bigger between the two schools? Because already I can see that it seems to be becoming more and more present, like more breeders become are becoming more kind of known for working with that old school stuff and less for working with the new school stuff and vice versa for their counterparts. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, man. I think that... Um that they both have their place. I think that the kind of the new school mindset is what it, it kind of takes things um, in that bottleneck direction of things being uh, narrowed down to these things that everyone can kind of agree are, um, you know, good in the market, the bag appeal, the general, like it's a crowd pleaser kind of effect but um then you know i think it's very very important for people to keep those old genetics around because that's where everything came from and uh people tend to think of that in a vague sense like uh you know well girl scout cookies you know 40 years ago uh you know, there was things that turned into other things that turned into these things that turned into cookies. But like when I smell cookies, it's like I said, it's, it's an Afghani to me and it has a little something else. So if you love cookies, you might be able to go grab a land race packy or a land race affy and go, okay, well, here's that same thing. And it turns out it didn't take a whole lot of work to arrive at this place where this stuff is here. So people think of like land race and heirloom and old school as being like this far off thing from our modern day weed. And in reality, you can take a lot of those old seeds. I'm sure you could go back and get seeds in 1900 or 1850. And, you know, if you still had those and they were viable or you had a time machine or whatever, you could pop them now and you'd go, whoa, look, it's the next OG or it's the next whatever. Like, I've never really been sold on this whole concept of people doing these crazy hybrids that all of a sudden give you these new things that were unheard of in the past. I think that um, the old genetics really have them right there, just either just under the surface or just right there in the same population. It's just that nobody grows anything, man. Everybody grows the same things. So they're thinking like, okay, well, I'm going to use this because it's the hot thing and not going back and going, well, hey, dude, did you ever think that's why I'm excited to see like what Bodie's doing right now on coastal um, because they're going back into the old stuff to make new stuff that, you know, I think, I, I think in the long term, you know, is going to wind up being, um, there's going to be some stuff that comes out of there. That's the new stuff, you know, because there's no one else doing it. Otherwise it's just basically regurgitating other people's work as it's like, you know, people make a cookies cross and they're like, look how resinous it is. I'm like, wasn't cookies resinous though? Like did, 
anything new happen here or are we just kind of doing this everybody's doing the same thing it's like it's like music you know and everyone's doing down by the boardwalk and it's just down by the boardwalk <laughs> like yeah it sold records but isn't this just down by the boardwalk you know what i mean so um i i respect it both but i really think that um the modern guys really need to understand what the modern stuff is it's just a good clone or a good cross of something people have and i really want to see people dig in and find all the old stuff before it's just doesn't exist anymore you know yeah, so I mean, with that in mind, what old school gems have you got in the works first? I mean, because you're known as someone who has, you know, from time to time delved into their bag of goodies, and I mean, Bodhi even hinted at it, saying that he likes he likes all the old stuff you pull out. Anything on the horizon you may be thinking about popping? Maybe some new school, uh, some old school stuff going to be coming back. You know, I got a really, really neat collection of stuff that I totally did not understand um, how neat it was because at the time it was just like these crosses of stuff people had given me. And I was like, well, I made the cross, but I'll just get back the pure one. And then I didn't store them right because I didn't want to grow them. Nobody wanted to grow them. And then... um, You know, I just, I knew, like, I knew how to store seeds. I knew that I should. And, and I was just like, eh, yeah, whatever. This is, I basically thought my stuff was trash because I was seeing other stuff or the stuff that it had come from that was, you know, either more consistent or, um, more marketable or whatever it was. And then just the thing of, mm, when things are too close to you, it's hard to see them. It's hard to see the big picture. Like it, you're used to it. This is the, you know, like I tell everybody, whatever you smoke all the time, that's the Reggie. That's regs. You know, like if, if you have it, then you're going to think it's regs. People who only grow OG are like, some of them still like it, but a lot of them are like, eh, I kind of want to try something new because this is just OG now. And when they first got it, it was like, oh my God, I got OG. And now they're like, yeah, OG, okay, same old flavor. Um, so for me, that's how it was with the seeds that I had. And then it would be like, oh, this one's prone to PM or this one likes to mold or this one doesn't get tall enough. And then you make the hybrids and the hybrids better. So you don't plant the old seeds. And so, man, I got some seeds that basically are still viable because I'm not saying I like stored them in the attic in the heat. They came up for 10 years, but then all of a sudden I hit like 12 years and they wouldn't come up anymore. They sprout a tail, but they won't come out of the dirt. And so I basically need to um, link up with somebody who, and I have a couple leads right now, who can do the tissue culture where they either do the seeds and test tubes with the plant version of antibiotics that prevent everything from attacking the seeds and and forming bacterial colonies and stuff while they're trying to sprout um, and that give them a little extra um, carbohydrates to replenish their 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 stores and uh, hormones to really make them want to grow faster so that they can really get out. And then there's another way you can do it where you can actually cut the seed open, get inside the germ, get viable cells and grow them out as a callus in a petri dish and then you can add hormones to make those effectively become basically like seeds or you can also encase the cells 
through a process where you make like artificial seeds and that's another way to bring stuff back it does exist it is practical it's been used for other stuff i just have to find the right way to do it and man i have some really neat stuff i have the original f1 pollinations that were the original black lime um i have the I have the old dirt perp mark that I made, you know, stuff from 99, 2000, 2001. I have all this old stuff and I have like a thousand of each and they, they're totally, they're totally viable. I'm just afraid to risk losing, um, losing genetics out of them by trying to pop a bunch only to get a few when I know that in a laboratory they can come back. So that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is that I've been asking around too for people and saying, hey, you know, what do you guys got? Who's got old seeds still? And there are some people and some people don't want to part with them. Some people don't want to share them even though they have plenty. And, you know, all those, I totally understand when, when people are where people are coming from on stuff. But like recently I scored this one. I don't know if you saw the post that was the Santa Marta, uh, Indica red vein. Did you see those little plants? Yeah, I think I did. I'm actually looking at them now. (laughs) Okay. So, so those ones there are a really special one. I, you know, I'm talking to the guy and he's like, yeah, 1977 or 78, I get the Santa Marta gold. And I'm growing that. And in 1980, I go to the bar and these guys smoke the best joint I've ever tasted with me. And they're, they're like, he's like, what is that? And they're like, oh, it's called Indica. And then they give him like five seeds and he crosses that with a Santa Marta. And then, you know, a few years, five years later, six years later, something, he puts in the stuff that's like what I call the perp that he called the red vein. Um, because the stalks get really red. It's like, you know, you see it like in DJ Short's Blueberry, except instead of like, uh, instead of the purple of it it's like red it's i think it's different than what i call perp but it's that same look of the where the stems have color instead of being green and um i think it's what's in my black lime honestly because it came from the same area and it's really interesting because there's these all these old things you get and people tell you the story but they only have the story they have you know like I can't say without a doubt that everything is only what is in it. I just know those things are in it for sure, you know, because back in the day, it's like, oh, this is so-and-so stuff. And then you ask him what it is and he goes, oh, it's Afghani. And you talk to him years later and he goes, oh, no, it's Afghani and Burmese, the Northern Lights. And you go, oh, okay. It just behaves like an Afghani. So he called it an Afghani. So I'd know what it was because he thought I'm just going to grow them and grow dope, you know? people don't know you have interest in it so there's all these old things that are like that and um so that's what i'm trying to track back down you know uh but that strain that particular strain you know he's like yeah it tests at 25 percent thc he goes i call it lemon kush i'm like there's other people who have stuff called lemon kush he's like well name it for me man and then people will know what it is and i'm like dude you know i'm on social media i'm able to show people stuff um you know it's, I know it's going to be the bomb because this guy, he's this old, old school dude who's like an old school, you know, rock star party animal, badass dude from the area. <laughs> and, uh, 
you know, he's, I don't know how old he is. I don't want to date him as being older than he is, but you know, he's like my mom, he's like 60 or something, you know, maybe older, maybe a little younger, but he, he was a, you know, he was around growing dope to get seeds in the seventies and he didn't ever go, he didn't ever do what I did with a lot of my stuff and go, Oh, I'm going to cross this with OG or I'm going to cross this with diesel or I'm going to cross this with Urkel or I'm going to cross this with whatever these clones are that came floating around that everyone wanted. You know, you try to make things be happening for the time, for the market, for the people who want to grow the seeds and, and, and be able to get, and be able to have a reference, you know, like people want to be able to tell people, oh, it's an OG cross. Okay, cool. Now they, now people know what to make of it when they show it to them. So, um, it's old pure stuff. I mean, it's not pure, of course, it's still a three-way cross, but it's a three-way cross of strains that were around in the 70s and the early 80s and he's never changed it and it still tests at 25% THC and it's super resilient and it gets huge yields and the weeds and shit you smell the stem it smells like gummy worms and now it's starting to develop into like a lemon peel smell not like a not like a lemony like what people call lemon in weed generally but like real lemon peel and um, it's exciting to see when they were tiny little tiny little sprouts they had more resin than anything else in, in the greenhouse out of a whole you know like five big tables full of uh six inch pots so it's dead that's an exciting one that's something that i'm doing something with and i asked him i'm like dude do you know do i need to like keep this tight or what he's all no nah, dude blow it up popularize it put it out there and you know so awesome. um i yeah, so that's one of those ones. And then, so, you know, I've been trying to find things that are like that. And then, you know, for me, like a lot of my stuff, it's just worked polyhybrids. So I made these polyhybrids and then I bred them in directions and now they're real strains. Like they could have been, they're like something you could have got from someone back in the day that was a real strain, you know? Um, but as far as a lot of the stuff that went into them, it's not, you know, it's not viable. And so now these these new true breeding uh, hybrids that I have, they're like, you know, that's where all the stuff is. And honestly, I like the new ones better than the old ones. It's just I value the old ones because they had other ways I could have gone with them, you know. Yeah, okay. So. Well, I think this brings us to the last little bit where we just got a few little quick fire questions. Shall we blast through them? Sure, man. So first one, what's your favorite strain of all time? Uh, man, I really liked this old school stuff that we thought was garlic bud. I don't know if it was or not. Uh, it came through the hog farm in the mid-90s. It was incredible. Uh, it was just the most amazing like definition of a broadleaf Afghani. Um, the weed was completely solid white. It was purple on the very inside. Uh, the bud actually was mostly like colorless because it was so dense that light didn't get in through the outside of the bud after like a couple weeks in. Um, I never got to grow it. That was incredible. Uh, Grimp's Grapes was incredible. Pissy Pungent Favorito probably to this day is one of, right up there with my favorites. <laughs> um, as far as something that like this is still around, like what like what's my favorite smoke what's my you know like yeah if i had to only have one thing probably something out of the black lime the black lime um is for me that's like just i don't know it's when yeah. i smoke a lot that's what i want to smoke black lime you know solid answer so what's one strain that you used to have but you've lost and you wish you could get it back 
Uh, let me see, like a seed strain. Yeah, I really liked the black Afghani that I had. That was really neat. Um, I still have a bunch of the seeds. They just don't quite come up. And um, that was a neat one that I lost that I really kind of am like, darn it, I lost it. And then, uh, man, the old my old Northern Lights clone, as far as a clone, yeah. that was that was really one that I just am bummed about. Yeah, for sure. All right. I can already tell. You brought it up twice. <laughs> it must have been special. It, well, it, it was. It's. It's a lot of what the black lime is. Is that clone? Uh, okay, it all makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah. So, if you were just a grower and you could only have one pack of seeds that's kind of currently on the market, which one pack would you go with? One pack of seeds. Jeez. Um. Man. You know, I haven't grown a lot of people's seeds. I know there's a lot of people's seeds who I might, you know, if I had that, if I had their stuff, I might throw mine away. But I, you know, I haven't done a lot of them. And out of everything I've seen, I still, I mean, I'd have to say probably like, you know, my Lime One clone with with something from it. So just Lime cross Lime. Um, but as far as like from other breeders, dude, I just don't, I don't have much reference. I haven't grown a lot of stuff from people. And so... Um, it's kind of a loaded question in that I'm going to say something from me because I'm so I'm just not that experienced with seed packs, you know. Yeah, no, I understand. That's all good. I'm sure I'm sure many people would have picked your lime cross as well. <laughs> Next one, if you could go back to one place in history and time to collect seeds, what would they be and where? Man, for me, I think I'd probably have to say like go back like. Probably to like the 50s and then go in the Hindu Kush region and, um, you know, collect collect everything there that was like what I know what I saw here when I was growing up. I know that's the genetics, you know, it was basically the Afghani before it got before it got messed around with by outside stuff. And um, yeah, okay, you know. Yeah, back before anybody really brought anything over. Yeah. And so, final question. Which person or groups do you hold kind of in the highest regard for the overall progression of cannabis throughout time? You know, um, man, hippies for sure. I got to put hippies up there because... um, that's where you know a lot of stuff happened in that part of the counterculture coming from the you know the 60s and the 70s and all those people going through the 80s and the 90s and all that um but you know other than that i'd say you know like um i really think there's not enough value placed on a lot of what people think of as land race in a lot of cases is from places where the weed doesn't have to be tended very much so people don't really know that people are are influencing it i think in places like afghanistan and thailand and india and africa i think there was a lot of people um who were uh actually making selections in the field um and choosing which seeds got planted over others and cutting plants they didn't like and i think that um 
I think a lot of the Landrace stuff was actually being bred in a sense, although you know it's a land race because it's wild but i think a lot of times it's it's wild because people don't have to grow it but they're still influencing the genetic drift so you know basically the hippies and all the you know the those those are those you know kind of counterculture people and um you know not to get too specific basically just to kind of say yeah just like people who were like yeah we're gonna smoke dope and hang out and have a good time and enjoy life and nature and the mountains and you know and then the, the those early people who kind of get left out of the story like people are like oh it was just good though good weed was just good in afghanistan it was just good in thailand i think people influence that you know to keep it from being hemp so um i i think those the, you know those ain't more ancient and traditional people and then these more modern back to the earth types who moved up into the hills and santa cruz and the sierras and humboldt and trinity and mendo and stuff you know i think they kind of they shaped how everything is now you know deadheads and hippies and yeah all these guys without deadheads especially i think but yeah so yeah for sure man yeah, so thanks so much for coming on the show and for dropping all that knowledge. Did you have any comments or shout-outs you wanted to make? Um, you know, I, um, man, we, we, we went through so much material right now. Um, I feel like, uh, I feel like we touched on a lot of stuff and, um, you know, it's the same, like, you know, I can give shout-outs right now, but of course I'm going to space out a whole bunch of people and so probably better to just, uh, Shout out everyone. Just shout out everybody, you know, everybody that um everybody that uh you know is is uh interested in weed and you know, all my all my my old school friends and my new friends and my family and uh you know, my sons and my kids and uh my lady and um yeah, everybody. Yeah, awesome. So again, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you, man. Thanks for having me on. It's it's awesome to be part of, dude. A huge thank you again to Gene for coming on the show and for taking the time to talk to us. As well as 420 Australia and OGS, who helped make the show happen. If you guys haven't checked out the Patreon yet, there's tons of extra content up there. I highly recommend you look at it, guys thinking about possibly increasing the length of time that content stays patron only because frankly i want to reward the guys who chip in for the show you know the response has been overwhelming and i'm actually going to make more content than what i initially said i would so you know get on board and enjoy all the goodies to come we'll see you family lambs